Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Counts full to Schwarber. Here's the payoff pitch. Swing and a high drive. <laughs> Deep right field. And that one is gone. Welcome to Philadelphia, Kyle Schwarber. His first as a Philly. And it's one to nothing. There you go, Ray Didinger, as Scott Fransky announces and Larry Anderson chuckles. Kyle Schwarber scoops one down at his shins into the second deck. And the season opens, Ray, as the Phillies win yesterday 9-5 to five over a uh, oh, pathetic Oakland Athletics team. But, Ray, what we saw yesterday, I believe, is what we're going to see 162 times this year. A lot of home run power. There's mm-hmm. only one home run, but they bash the ball. Right. Uh, Aranola looking great until he looks terrible. Right. Uh, extremely questionable defense. Oh, you think? A little bit. <laughs> uh, surprisingly good bullpen. We'll circle back to that. I'm sure you have your doubts. And a full crowd as the Philly season begins. Ray, let the enthusiasm wash over you, my friend. <laughs> well, you're do- you're doing your best. I'll say that. Selling it, right? I'm selling it. <laughs> well, hey, and you're not alone. I mean, you you kind of felt the electricity in the ballpark yesterday. I mean, you saw the crowd and you saw the way they reacted and couldn't have gotten off to a better start. Schwerber hitting the three two pitch, pretty much knocking it right out of the park. Yeah, I mean, it was everything everybody came to see, and it was all there on display. So, you know, I do think that uh, I do think they're going to be an exciting team. Um, there's no question they're going to be a team that's going to be dynamic offensively. Uh, they're going to be fun to watch. Going to play a lot of long games. You go down oh, yeah. to the ballpark. You're going to get your money's worth because oh, you're going to be yeah. there. You're going to be there for a while. The concessionaires will like it because people are going to be sitting there for three and a half, four hours. Um, but I mean, it's like you. I mean, like you. I'm, I'm, I'm with you in this respect. I am glad to see baseball back. I am really, really glad to see baseball back. And and I think this team is going to, you know, I mean, they're going to be fun to watch. And I don't think there's any way, given their lineup, they're not going to be in contention come September. You know, they'll they'll be a, the baseball season will not end on the Fourth of July this year. No, 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 not at all. And by the way, you talked about how long the games are going to last, and they're going to last long because of the, both the Phillies' offense and the Phillies' pitching. But part of that offense, and you saw it yesterday, and it might be, uh, you know, Oakland doesn't exactly have frontline pitchers, right? This, this is not the yeah, the not, not Dave cat, Stewart, not cat, yeah, not catfish hunter, We're not. right? <laughs> this is right. This is not when they, you know, when they had those those aces back in the day. They're pretty bad, but the Phillies are going to play American League ball in meaning which they're going to take a lot of pitches, 
and they worked. Uh, that starting pitcher had like 90 pitches through four innings yesterday. Again, he's not good, but that's going to be something I think you're going to see a lot. Now, the um, when you and I started talking baseball, you know, a month or so ago, the Phillies over under was 83 and a half games. It is now 86 and a half games. Ray Dinger, can we agree that this year's Philadelphia Phillies squad will win 89 games? Uh, no. I know that's where you are, right? Yeah. 89. Okay. I'm, you know, I'm really not that far behind you, to be honest. I mean, I sound like I'm really being Debbie Downer here, and I'm not. I mean, I if if you gave if you asked me to give you a number, I would tell you 85. Okay. So we're not we're not that far right. apart. We're not that far apart. 85 is tough because maybe you make the playoffs, maybe you don't. Ray, I'd like to give you three reasons why the Phillies will make the playoffs. Okay. And I believe by the end of this segment, you will be carrying that banner. What is Stan Hockman used to do the columns, right, where he had the bandwagon going? Yes, that was Stan's. Yeah, you'll hop aboard. Ready? Uh-huh. Number one, obvious, the batting order, right? Right. Harbor, Castellano, Schwarber, Hoskins, those four guys are going to hit 130 home runs among the four of them. And the rest of the lineup, uh, Real Muto, Segura, Didi, are going to hit enough that I'm telling you right now, Ray, the Phillies will score five runs a game, average five runs a game, for the first time since 2009. Hmm. Uh, Hitting season, baby, Ray. I believe you heard Charlie Manuel once upon a time. Uh, yeah, I remember. I remember. Yep. What What makes you think that Gregorius is going to be a big offensive player? Uh, he, I did. two hundred last. Ray, I mentioned him one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh. He's yeah, going to hit twelve. You're including him in the reason why this team's going to average five. Well, I think I think for his position, he's a, a, a fine. He, he can't field at all, but he, he he'll hit. <laughs> He'll hit 12 to 14 home runs, bat 260. He'll be all right. Okay. I'm not Again, so, I'm I mean, not he's so down sure. the list. I'm not sure Real Muto's that much of a big bopper anymore. Oh, 20 homers, right? Oh, okay. yeah. I mean, uh, you look at his offense, it's, it's gone yeah. down every year for like the last three years. Not to worry. Okay. They're gonna, they, they are going to do that, and they're going to be patient. I mentioned how patient they were. Bryson Stott, and we will discuss the good and the bad of Bryson Stott yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I read the column today, might have been David Murphy in the Inquirer, I apologize if it was somebody else, uh, his first three plate appearances in the majors, he saw 15 pitches, mm-hmm. w- one of which was almost a home run, just yanked it uh, just uh, left of the foul line, uh, right of the foul line, uh, but he's he, he, they're going to play that patient game. So I think the offense is going to be the best offense they have had since back in those primary prime days where we were all – at Citizens Bank Park together. Well, all right. Be- best since then, for sure. Yeah, yeah. best since okay. then, for sure. Doesn't guarantee okay. you you're going to win all the time. But as far as a, as a an offensive lineup, yeah, this is the best since then. No all right, number two. And I think this one, the, you may disagree with me heartily on this, but I think the bullpen amazingly won't be bad and might actually be a strength. And this this is one of those if healthy, and I cannot predict healthy, Okay. Mm-hmm. If healthy, Corey Kniebel throws fire. Um, and he bounced back. Late. He had Tommy John surgery in 2019. Last year, he kind of bounced back with the Dodgers. He pitched well, 2.45 ERA. Didn't pitch a lot of innings. Looked good in the spring. Looked really good last yesterday when he came in at the end. I think Sir Anthony Dominguez is going to be the secret weapon for not too long a secret. Coming off of Tommy John again, missed the last two seasons. I we pitched in one game, I guess, last year. Um, looked great in spring. Throw 97. Got the side out on seven pitches yesterday. 
Lost 40 pounds. I didn't know that during the lockout. Yeah. Which isn't bad. Not yeah, bad. I, I, I noticed it. I, I thought, he looks different. Yeah. And 40 pounds will do that. Yeah. And I think those two guys are going to be really good. I'm not so sold on Familia. I'm not going to try to sell you. I, no. The, the problem with Familia, and we'll get to this part of it, is he throws a lot of ground balls. Yes. Which doesn't necessarily work here. <laughs> but. You know what? Oh, That's the problem with pitching on this team. You got. Remember when they used to say, in this ballpark, you want to yeah. keep the ball down because it's such an easy park to hit home runs, so you don't want to give up fly balls. But with this defense, you don't want to give up ground balls. Yeah. <laughs> So it means you better strike twenty-seven hitters out. If I think it. Yes, it means that's exactly what it means. In this ballpark, you you want to get the the he want to get the ball into the catcher's mitt. Yes, I agree on that. But I think I think the bullpen is going to be a lot better, which is an easy thing to say because you no longer have to deal with the Archie Bradley. Ian Kennedy, Hector Neris, all that, you know, the, the horribleness that we have seen in recent years. I mm-hmm. i think the bullpen could be pretty good. Are you with me on that? Um, no. Okay. I, I think that um, – I think it, it – oh, what's the best way of putting this? Um, I mean, you actually said you, – you began this by saying it It might actually be – it might might be it good and it might actually be a strength. Correct. Um, I, will, I will go halfway with you. I think it, it will certainly be improved over what we've seen. I am not prepared to say that I think it'll be a strength. Okay. If it's half of that, if right? It's just, yeah, if it's just okay. If it's uh, just considering, okay. I'll right, Considering that. all of those saves they blew last year, right? They, they either broke a record, they were on pace for a record. I mean, it was unbelievable how bad they were last year. Then, uh, then they'll make the playoffs. And the third thing, Ray, the rotation. Now, Again, I'm not going back to the days of the four aces out there. Yeah. But the rotation is going to be one of the better ones in the league. You know who you're not going to see this year? Vince Velazquez? (laughs) Matt Moore? Thank God. Spencer Howard? Thank God. Yeah. I mean, right? Zach Wheeler was a Cy Young finalist and should be again. Aaron is going to be what he is yesterday, which is he's going to pitch well until he's not, and hopefully Girardi will learn when to pull him. But he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have to be an ace anymore. We know that. If Ranger Suarez is 75% of what he was last year and give you 30 starts, he'll be great. Uh, Zach Eflin, I thought, looked good before his injury last year. And I want to believe that Kyle Gibson is the fifth starter, kind of comes back to what he was with the Twins, which was, you know, decent, good. Um. And I know injuries can derail things. Speaking of which, how about that Mets super rotation? Right, they already got that. Right. Uh, but I think the situation is is pretty good now. Mm-hmm. You want to agree with me there? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're counting on you're counting on a lot of you're making things that are to me are, are ifs, certainties. I mean, you're you're buying into what Ranger Suarez was for half a season. You know, I don't know that he's going to pitch to a 1-5 ERA again this year. No, he's not. He's going to pitch to a 2-9 ERA. If oh, he that, pitches to double the ERA, he's two nine still a ERA good starter. 2-9 ERA is on the All-Star team. Yes. So? I'm not I'm not ready to go there with Ranger Suarez. Fine. I think Ranger Suarez is going to be a very capable, better number th- a better number three starter than on most teams in the National League. How's okay. That? Okay. You know, and you got Zach Wheeler coming off a short spring where he was complaining about his arm being sore. Yeah, he's fine. 
And you know, you know, Nola just Nola just gives up moonshot after moonshot. You know, yeah, he kind of ran out of gas. Yeah, but I just so I mean, you're talking about the off. You're talking about the rotation. Like, oh yeah, I'm, these guys are money in the bank. I don't see it that way. All I mean, right, I well, see a lot of guys who have had some success, mm. but not exactly like I know I can count on it. That's well, that's kind of where I am. Let's go to the next point, because the next point is why they won't win 110 games which is the defense. Mm -hmm. And yesterday, the youngster playing third base happened to do this. 1-1 pitch. As sliced down the left field line. That's going to get down for a hit. Segura around third. He's going to come home and score. Stock trying for second. The throw is late. And it's an RBI double for the rookie Bryson Stott. His first big league RBI. His second hit of the day. You know what, Ray? I played that out of order. That's on me. Oh, okay. I asked our producer Dan Wilson to have that ready, and I was gonna. Oh, I blew my whole my whole case here. I was gonna tell you how, like, okay, he doesn't play defense, but there you go. Anyway, he did have an RBI double in his first game, and that was really nice. Mm-hmm. And here's what he did yesterday: he played third base, which he I know he's a natu- natural shortstop, but they're gonna move him around, and I'm okay with that. He made. Two poor throws in the seventh, I believe, that led to led to runs. One he got an error. One he kind of threw wide, and Hoskins got the error. Right. Um, and then in the eighth, he recovered and made two decent, not special plays, but decent plays, which just kind of made me feel okay. And then I was going to say he did that, which was to hit that double. Mm-hmm. The defense is it was billed as bad going into the season, and Ray did reveal itself to be such yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I told you what my name for this this year's team is. <laughs> we all, everybody knows the term catch twenty two. Yeah. This this Phillies team is can't catch twenty two. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. That's clever. Actually, somebody sent me something yesterday and said, you know how Ray refers to uh, Hoskins and Bohm as the corner butchers, right? They said if the the person who sent it to me, I'm, I'll look up his name later. Said if you add Stott, it can be the corner butchers and their apprentice. <laughs> well, you know, you said something a moment ago that I uh, I disagree with, yeah. um, which is, oh, we're taking Stott and he's a natural shortstop. We're moving him to third base. I'm okay with that. Is what you said. Um, I'm not okay with that. I mean, I'm, I, I'm. Are we heading down Scott Kingery Road here? Uh, Scott Kingery's thing was Scott Kingery. It wasn't that he was moving positions. It was that Scott Kingery screwed up his mind. You and I have seen a lot of players play different positions before. There are guys who break into the league as utility players and then end up at one position. Yeah, but this guy, I, you, you I, I don't draft. Think... You don't draft not guys number one to be utility players. You draft them because they're the best player at their position. He Stott, will, is a, Stott is a natural shortstop. And he will be the shortstop. Well, why isn't he now? Well, because they still have the other guy. Why? do they? Why? Because he's under contract and they, they're breaking Stott in. They're working him into the lineup. Into a position you don't want him to play. He'll be fine. <laughs> he's going he's gonna to be fine. I just, I, I, I just, listen, I hear what you say. I never buy the Scott Kingry argument as precedent that anybody who plays more than one position is going to be screwed up. No, no, I, no. He had, no, that wasn't all of Scott it. Scott Kingry had a lot going on besides just like, hey, take the other glove today. Yeah, and bad coaching taught, you know, yeah. had him, you know, they changed his swing around to the point where he couldn't hit the ball anymore. I know that didn't have anything to do with his fielding, but the fact is, he was considered a really blue chip prospect not right. all that long ago. 
uh, and everybody said a natural second baseman, he's going to be the second baseman, and you let him play every position but second base. Yeah. And the I whole know. thing just blew up in your face. And now you've got another kid here who looks like he's got all the tools, chance to be a really good player, and everybody agrees the natural shortstop, but ah, come on, let's play him at third. He's going to be the shortstop. It's gonna ha- I understand that you want it on April the 9th, but it's going to happen. It'll be, he'll be, by All-Star game, he's going to be the everyday shortstop. It's going to be fine. Ray, it's going to be fine. They're going to win 89 games. They're going to the playoffs. Big summer at Citizens Bank Park. I hope we're going to be there on Sundays. We're not there tomorrow, but I hope we're, we're going to start being there on Sundays. Oh, we are? Sun- no, we are not tomorrow. No, no, but I mean, we're, we're going to be there? I, I got an indication that we're going to start doing those, but oh, it was, okay. but clearly not tomorrow. Okay. I, uh, actually, I actually kind of like those Sunday mornings at yeah, the ballpark. It's kind of fun. I love fun. that. Yeah, get down there early, see them still water in the grass, and guys out patting down the baselines. A little BP. Yeah, I, I, you know, the sound of the distant BP, guys taking early infield, guys shagging balls in the outfield. Alec Bohm booting balls even at <laughs> 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> ah, it's baseball. You can't, you can't let it go. I'll talk to the boss. I'll see if we can get there for the next homestand. No, I, anyway. I, I, I am looking forward to it. I do enjoy that. Yeah, it's Ray. It's going to be a great summer, Ray. No, we, you know, I mean, we sound like we're polar opposites, and we're really not. All I right. mean, you're well, talking. I, you're, I'm listen. I'm exaggerating to the you know, let, let book the World Series tickets. And yeah, and I'm probably I'm probably overcompensating the other way, but we aren't all that far apart. I mean, you're yeah. saying 89 wins. I'm saying 85. Well, In the course of a whole summer, four wins is not a big deal. Right. Well, you hope it's not the difference between making the playoffs and not. All right. Today, 340, actually 405 start, but they're doing, they're honoring Bryce Harper for winning the MVP last year at 340, telling fans to get to their seats. And, Ray, today, down in South Philly, you got a Sixers game at 1 o'clock. We'll talk about that carcass of a squad later in the hour. Right. You got the Phillies at 405. And you got a, speaking of carcass of a squad, you got the Flyers at 730. Oh. So it's a big day down in South Philadelphia. However, we should point out there is a, there is a cool event at the uh, well Flyers game tonight. The, uh, what they're honoring Lou Nolan. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Our good yes. friend, our good friend, and what a yes. great guy! What a mm-hmm. just a super guy Lou Nolan is. Uh, and the Flyers are honoring him tonight for fifty years at the at the microphone at Flyers games and like fifty three or fifty four years of total service to the organization. So. So tonight is Lou Nolan light down there. So that's, yeah, that's uh, great. That's you know I, that's that's great. I've known Louie forever, and he's uh, he's just as good a guy as you're ever going to meet. This is a town where sports is such a big part of the fabric, and these guys are that you know the PA announcer, Lou Nolan. Hey, it was great to see Dan Baker yep, it was. back at the Phillies game yep. after some illness took him out last year. He's back. Uh, we know these guys since Zinkoff, I guess. We we know who the PA announcers are, and they are important people, and that's that's a good thing. I'm glad you brought that up. All right, Ray, coming up, I want to do the next segment on the Eagles. Uh, they lost a player last night to free agency. We will discuss that, potential replacements. Ray is going to do his Eagles draft report. Uh, we have a uh, terrific Tell Us Your Story coming up at noon with Mitch Williams. We figure what better way to start the baseball season than with a guy who is a very popular player here. Mm-hmm. I have a show to recommend for you uh, in the 11 o'clock hour for what we're watching, a real fun Shibe Sports throwback moment, and we're going to talk about all the teams. And you can join, 215-592-9494. By the way, tonight I will not be either at the Phillies or the Flyers because – I'm going to Bucks County, Ray Dinger. Yes, you are. <laughs> you're going to join. You're going to be joining me at Bucks County Playhouse tonight for the eight o'clock performance of Tommy and Me. Um, 
we've we opened on Thursday with uh, special guest Harold Carmichael, which was a huge success. I'm not going to live up to that. Right? Uh, no, you'll you'll be right there. And then last night we uh, had the second performance, uh, and Mike Sielski of the Inquirer. No, was, I can do better. Was a special guest, and, and he was very good. Good. And today we have a two o'clock show, a matinee, which is almost sold out, but there are still a few tickets left. And eight o'clock tonight. So if anybody wants to come out and see the two of us together at Bucks County Playhouse and see Tommy and me, uh, get on the phone, call up, order your tickets, or just walk up to the box office. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. I am too. All right, two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Hey, are you tired of dealing with your old drafty windows and doors in your house? Maybe it's time you finally go, Guida. The great people at Guida Door and Window will help make your window and door replacement project more affordable with their buy one, get one half off sale. Easy. For every door or window you buy, you get a second one at 50% off. And you can mix and match the savings to suit your own needs. So, buy an entry door, get half off a storm door. Buy a patio door, get 50% off a window. If you need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, this is great. You save 50% off on half your project. The more you need, the more you save. Plus, Guida is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down and interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Act now. Offers for a limited time only. Restrictions apply. For full details, call Guida today. Schedule a free, no-obligation in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Down situations. Make it 20. And an interception. Rodney McLeod. 12th career interception, and there he goes. Well, Ray, last night news comes out that Eagle safety Rodney McLeod was a free agent, finalizes a deal with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, he had been here for six years. 
Very dependable guy, talented guy, very key guy the year they won the Super Bowl. Um, I read uh, somewhere, and I did recall, that uh, he's the guy who kind of snuffed out the play on that final fourth and goal against Atlanta in that uh, first playoff game last year. Uh, And I guess once they re-sign Anthony Harris, they decided they're going to let Rodney go. Rodney's 32, so that was the thought. But, uh, Ray, a couple things. First, kind of ask you to put Rodney McLeod in perspective of the – what do you spend? Six Six years. years. Six years, right. Six years. Four next to Malcolm Jenkins, which was a pretty good safety combo. Yes, it was. Uh, Put his six years in the Eagles in perspective. Yeah, I mean, those were two really good signings. I'd give Howie Roseman credit. I mean, the signing of Malcolm Jenkins and then the signing – of Rodney McLeod were two free agents that uh, that they went out and signed, and it solidified their safety position really well with two really good veteran players that helped this team win a Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, Rodney, I, I really liked him. I mean, I, I liked him from his whole career. I, you know, he he got a lot accomplished for a little guy. You know, I mean, he was not big, uh, but he was really smart. You pointed that out, uh, and he was uh, and he was tough. You know, for for a guy that didn't have a whole lot of size. You know, he didn't miss many tackles, and uh, he was a really good, consistent player for this team for six seasons. Had, you know, had 11 interceptions, four forced fumbles, one of which he returned for a touchdown. And um, as you said, was, was, one of the, was one of the key contributors to the team that won the Super Bowl. Not a whole lot of those guys left now. No, sure. I, you know, I, I, I've showed you, I think, I have this beer mug uh, that came out after that season that has the names of every player on the Super Bowl roster on it. And I look at it. Well, pretty much every time I use it for a beer, which is frequently, mm-hmm. and every time I look at it, it's like, oh yeah, that guy's gone too. So yes, it's 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 going to be the last man standing soon. I'm guessing, I'm guessing it'll be Jake Elliott, right? I mean, kickers outlive everybody, so uh, I mean, he'll probably yeah, but be. Kickers the last are one. so year to year. I don't know. I'll, I'll grab. You know what? I'll grab it uh, next break, and we can we'll go over. Some yeah, of the names. when they signed, you said it. When they signed Anthony Harris, then it was okay. They're they're not going to bring. Yeah. They're not going to bring Rodney back. I like Rodney better than I like Anthony Harris. I, I do too, but I think it was his age and the yeah. injury history. I mean, he's, he had ACL tear, MCL tear, then another ACL tear. I mean, I, really, I was surprised that he actually even came back. Um, and then when he came back last year, remember, he because he got hurt late the previous season, he wasn't available for the first mm-hmm. month of last season. Yeah. Uh, and when he came back, you could just see he wasn't the same player. I and, know. I and know. they kind of, what they did the second half of the year was he he was sort of a rotation player. They played him in spots. They played him in situations. Uh, he was no longer kind of the every-down safety. That's kind of where he was trending. So given that, I guess they just figured, you know, they were they were prepared to move on, and, you know, now he goes and gets a fresh start in Indianapolis. Okay, so now the safeties they have left under contract are Harris, who we mentioned, mm-hmm. Marcus Epps, Kevon Wallace and Jared Maiden. I don't even know who Jared Maiden is, but he's under contract. He's one of one of Nick Saban's boys. He's an Alabama boy. Okay, well, I was, hope he's good. Yeah, okay. was originally drafted so, by the 49ers. Uh, Eagles claimed him, and uh, I think he played like three or four, just a handful of games okay. last year. Nonetheless, the guy who they have been tied to over the last week, and a guy who, Ray, you know I've been pounding the table for. You have. Since uh, the offseason began is Tyron Matthew, who apparently met virtually with the Eagles a couple days ago after he had met with his hometown New Orleans Saints. And maybe now that they don't have McLeod, they turn their eyes to the guy who was a two-time first-team All-Pro, three-time Pro Bowler. What do you think? Uh, It makes sense. 
It yeah. does. It does. It does make sense. I mean, um, he was he was a key contributor to the Chiefs team that won the Super Bowl. I mean, he was. You know, he was the quarterback of their defense. He was certainly the quarterback of their secondary. Um, you know, fiery leader, um, real playmaker. Playmaker. Yeah. Playmaker. That's what they lack. Playmaker. Yeah. And they, you know, and they lack, they, they kind of lack, they, they lack the, a, a smart guy back there. They lack the veteran guy who can see a mismatch at the line of scrimmage and make an adjustment. That's the kind of stuff that Malcolm Jenkins was really good at. Yeah. Um, and... You know, the Honey Badger is really good at that too. I mean, he's a he's a really smart player uh, and just a natural leader, which I I think that this defense could use one. You know, there. I mean, it's clear that Fletcher Cox is kind of phasing out. Brandon Graham's going to come back, but you know, I don't know how much he's really going to play. You know, you need a guy on the field that's a veteran that's been there before, played in big games, and has the ability to rally the troops. You know, and uh, and also, as you said, make plays. I mean, this is an Eagles team. You know, for everybody was talking about, oh, you know, Jonathan Gannon, that defense, you know, they're top 10 or top 10, de- you know, they were 28th in the league at force and turnovers. Mm-hmm. They, they just were not a defense. They were not a defense it's that been made. That way for years now. They were not a defense that made big plays. Right. Yep. I agree. So, I and, agree. This, and this is a guy that will make Let's big do it. plays. Ray Honey Badger. How great would that be? Oh, I think he'd, I think the fans here would certainly oh, take to yeah. him. Oh, yeah. I'd get excited. All right. I'm going to get your college uh, pre, your your draft preview in a second. Let me sneak in one call here. Warren has been patiently holding. What's on your mind, Warren? Hey, Ray and Glenn. Thank you very much for taking my call. You bet. Um, I have another name for the Phillies uh, for you, Glenn, and I would call them the Philadelphia Iffies because you had so many ifs in your uh, your opening diatribe, and that's you know if everything goes right, sure we can be uh, a playoff team, but on on the Ray side, if if things start to go wrong then we're still a 500 team, and we could just miss the playoffs. Uh, I resent this for several reasons. What's that? I resent this for several reasons. First of all, that, oh. was, not a, that was not a diatribe. That was, I, I was throwing out hearts and plaudits. Hearts Nonetheless. and plaudits. Yeah. Well, you're more Nonetheless. of a wordsmith than I am. It's, no, no, it's my that's word. Okay. That, that, that's fine. I, and I, Yeah, there are, there are a lot of ifs. There's no question, but yeah. every team has a lot of ifs. A I, lot of ifs. I'm I'm confident that maybe my confidence, Warren, is, you know, as they as my friend Jody McDonald used to say, maybe my confidence is that I'm seeing it through. Well, in this case, it would be rose red colored glasses. Maybe that's the case. But I'm I'm feeling it, Warren. I'm feeling it this year. I'm on the the race side. I'm I'm pretty nervous about uh, uh, the corner butchers and the uh, the Errorly boys. Uh, or the Errorly Brothers. The Errorly The Errorly Brothers, like Everly Brothers. The Errorly Brothers. Admit it, Glenn, this team does lend itself to nicknames. It does. <laughs> well, you know, I guess Bash Brothers was taken years ago. I'll come, up, I'll come up with one on my side, Warren. Don't worry about it. All right. The, um, the, the other wild card is the way Joe Girardi uh, gives his pitchers uh, days off and, uh, and the way he does substitutions and, and – rotating his players and that that's been another um thing that's been going on for the two years since joe has been here is that um he seems to make the bullpen look worse than they possibly are by putting the wrong people in at the wrong times and leaving pitchers in too long possibly well there is merit uh, in what and and more thanks good call good stuff thanks. there is merit in what you say but i think part of that relates to he would look at the bullpen and he would see six guys out there who can't pitch and he would just basically 
Yeah. You know, roll a die and say it's, like, okay, I'm going with this guy. I All right, I, I I haven't loved the way Girardi has managed, but I can't blame him for the bullpen. They just stunk. All right, and every I'm time moving. he pointed to the bullpen, he knew he knew it yes. was going to be bad. But sometimes he had no choice. Ray, I got about five minutes here, and I don't want to give this short shrift. It is time for the Ray Dinger NFL Draft Preview. You take it to P. Ryan Trask, looking to throw to the end zone, diving pick. Derek Stingley made the pick. He'd been picked off. All night, and now he makes the Tigers' biggest defensive play. All right, Ray, I know you wanted to talk specifically about this guy who's kind of rising up in the the, uh, draft boards. Up and down, up and down, Derek Stingley. Um, If you had talked to pro scouts like a year ago and you had asked them to project into this year's draft and said, who's going to be the first guy picked? Who's going to be the first guy off the board in next year's draft? I guarantee you they would have said Derek Stingley. Maybe not all of them, but most of them. I mean, he was that he was considered that good a prospect. As a true freshman, as a true freshman, he started at LSU on that undefeated national championship Joe Burrow team and was an all-SEC player as a true fre- and an 18-year-old true freshman, a cornerback. Had everything. Had size. He had speed. He had confidence. He had swagger. I mean, he he's got bloodlines, man. And he's, the, you know, and he's the grandson of Derek Stingley yeah. uh, or Daryl Stingley. And so, yeah, I mean, he's been raised in football, and he's got a world of ability. And as a freshman, he showed all of it at LSU. But then he got hurt, and uh, then came COVID, which which shut down the season about halfway through the next year. And then he hurt his foot the following year in spring training, tried to start, uh, tried to go into the season, tried to play through it. Three games in, gets hurt again. They reexamine it. They find out it's a Liz Frank injury. He has to undergo surgery, misses the rest of the year. So bottom line on Derek Stingley is that he had one sensational freshman year. And since then, in two seasons of playing, he's only played 10 games, including just three games last year. And to be honest, in those games, hasn't looked like the same player. So now you talk about a conundrum. I mean, he is probably, Glenn, he is probably probably the most polarizing player in this draft mm-hmm. because you've got the scouts that are looking back at his freshman tape and saying, boy, this guy is terrific. This guy can absolutely, this guy, you, you draft him, you plug him in, he's a starter for 10 years. I mean, he's a, he's a pro bowl player. And then you look at the, the tape of the last couple of years and then you look at the medical reports, Liz Frank injury, and you have other teams that are saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm not touching this guy. So that's where you stand on this. Now, I have seen uh, a number of the mock drafts have the Eagles taking Derek Stingley because they do think, I mean, there was no way that anybody thought he was going to fall to 15 in this draft. Everybody thought he was certainly a top 10, maybe even a top five pick. Now people are saying, you know, uh, there's going to be these concerns. He could fall, 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 and he might fall right into the Eagles' lap at 15. That's something you're going to think about because – the Eagles, we know, I mean, they need that other cornerback right now. They got Darius Slay, but that other, that other position is really wide open. Is Derek Stingley in play? Could be. Could be. And would you endorse such a pick? I probably wouldn't. Oh, you I, wouldn't? No, I probably wouldn't. I, I would, I would be, I'd just be worried, Glenn. I'd be worried over two things. If, if, if the tape on him the last two years, and it's only ten games, I don't want to overreact to it, but if the tape was as good as his freshman tape, I'd say, yeah, yeah. If, if, if I get a clean medical on him and they say he's fine, I'll, I'll draft him. But the last two years, the tape wasn't that good. Okay. Uh, and that, you know, that gives me a concern. Um, again, there's a big, big split on him. Now, I should say he had his, he had his workout this past week uh, down in Baton Rouge. They, uh, and he, he tested out great. 
He ran four three seven. Uh, he ran two. He ran a four three seven. Then he ran a four four, which is which is plenty. Yeah. And he did a thirty eight and a half inch vertical. I mean, he tested out just fine. Yeah. So medically, it looks like he's good. Uh, you just have to evaluate what is the true Derek Stingley, the freshman or the guy you saw the last two years. All right. Well, there you go. Ray Dinger's uh, college draft preview. You were doing one of these every day uh, that we are on leading up to the draft. What do you got? Uh, what are you thinking about tomorrow? Well, when do you want me to start dipping into my sleepers? Is it too whenever soon? you're ready. Okay. I generally try to wait to a little bit closer on that. So, uh, um, uh, maybe you know what? Maybe I'll just give you a, a preview of. I'll give you a couple sleepers tomorrow. Maybe okay. we'll spread them out over a couple weeks. I'm I'm perfectly good for that. Okay. So the Eagles, uh, you and I have not been on. We 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 literally have like a minute here. I I don't want to be too late to the break, but we haven't been on since the Eagles made the trades with the Saints. Uh, in which the Eagles get a first-round pick next year, give the Saints one of their first-round picks this year. There was a lot of else going on in the move, but that was that's the headline. Eagles now have pick 15 and 18, Ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, let us say a uh, secondary guy and a uh, pass rusher, we think. Um, good for me. Um, I certainly wouldn't rule out a wide receiver, too. Yeah, I mean, to me, those are the three. Olave, those, kid from Ohio State, gonna fall right there. Could be. Um, it could be um, London. Could be Drake London, the the six foot five receiver from Southern Cal. Mm-hmm. Um, you might even get really lucky and have Garrett Wilson fall in your lap, the other receiver from Ohio State. I mean, those are all guys that that would be nice. You would you would really have to consider. But here's the other thing you have to consider: is the very real possibility that the Eagles aren't done yet. That the Eagles, oh, could, the Eagles no could, doubt. the Eagles could package fifteen and eighteen, and trade up, and trade up if if the right player falls. And there's always a guy who falls in the draft. There's always a guy that you think is going to be a top six that all of a sudden, because other teams address other needs or something, all of a sudden there's a guy at nine ten that's available that you never thought was going to be available. And if it's the right player, I could definitely see how he taking fifteen and eighteen and trading up to get that guy and. You know, the guy that, and we talked a little bit about it with John and Joe on Wednesday, would be Sauce Gardner, who's the, who's the cornerback from Cincinnati, mm-hmm. um, who I think is pretty much everybody's number one corner. And because of the big rush there's going to be on pass rushers and offensive linemen, and you're probably going to get a quarterback or maybe even two in the top ten, Sauce Gardner could wind up being on the board at 10 or 11. And if you're sitting there, if you're Howie and you're there sitting there at 15, but you got the wherewithal to trade up, don't be surprised if he would. Well, it's going to be interesting. April 28th, we will be there at WIP. I'm looking forward to it. 215-592-9494. Uh, coming up, we will discuss the team that uh, tips off today around 1 o'clock, the Philadelphia Sixers, 76ers and the woes they are having. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack. Now, don't forget, at noon, tell us your story with Mitch Williams. It's a fun one. Rain Glenn on 94 WIP. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. 
Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Too strong. Long rebound to Danny Green. Give it back to him. Step back hard and high. Arcing three. And he misses everything. <laughs> nice job by Kate Scott the other night uh, as the Sixers lose. And Ray, this is James Harden in the last five Sixers games, all right? Uh-huh. Here you go. 18 points, shot 4 of 15, 2 of 9 from three-point line. 12 points, 4 of 10, including 2 of 6 from the three-point line. 21 points, although he was 4 of 13. 2 of 7 from the three-point line. 11 points, where he was 4 of 10, including, again, 2 and 7 from the three-point line. And 13 points. This is moving backwards. 3 of 12, 1 of 4 from the three-point line. Ray, we were pretty excited when the Sixers made this trade, and I know there were people uh, in New, in, uh, in uh, New York and Brooklyn who kind of snickered and said, eh, yeah, I don't know what you're getting there. Could they yeah, well, how's it working out for them, by the way? Well, it's not. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the, the Ben Simmons may never play. The other guys are playing fine, but, yes, it's it, this could end up being something that's a bad trade for both teams. But I will tell you, I don't want to play them in the playoffs. That aside – um, the Sixers, well, they play today against the horrible Pacers. They play tomorrow against the Pistons. Uh, the games actually mean something. They also mean something in that the over-under for the team going into the year out of Vegas was 50-and-a-half. They currently have 49 wins with two to play. But Harden's awful, uh, and he can't move late in games. I mean, he looks like he's gassed. Maybe it's, you know, the, the injury that he's still getting over. Maybe it's that he's cooked. I don't think he's cooked, but I, I think it's a combination of the two things that you said. I think that he is hurt. Um, you know, when he when he joined the team, they were talking about the hamstring that he had been kind of nursing uh, and that they were going to have to spot him and maybe sit him a game here or there, which they've done. Um, but I don't think he's well. Um, I, think he's still got, I think he's still got the hamstring. I think it's still bothering him. He's not getting very much lift on his shot. You can certainly see that. And And – you know, the other part of it is he's just older, you know. I mean, if you remember, we had Derek Bodner on last week. Mm-hmm. And the, the question I asked Derek is, is, is what we're seeing with Harden now a case of an, a guy who's playing through an injury or is it a guy who's just not, the, not what he used to be? And, you know, Derek kind of said what I kind of believe, which is probably a combination of both. But the fact of the matter is if Harden continues to play this way, going into the playoffs, they're not going to go very far. No. They're not going to go anywhere. And by the way, you better hope they don't play Toronto uh, because we learned the other day that Theibel uh, isn't vaccinated, which is his right. And I certainly don't want to have that debate with people again. But it doesn't help the team. And Danny Green said, I'll just quote Danny Green, it isn't right we're a team. We've been playing all year for this. And now you won't be able to for Toronto in the first round. And then he said, you know, I, re- I respect his right to make his decision. Uh, but it, it certainly, if they play Toronto, you know, he's, what, their fifth best player, you figure? Uh, well, he's a starter. He's a starter. And, he, and he, he doesn't give you much offense, but he gives you defense. 
And if he's unable to play in those games, that's that's a problem. Ray, I I don't I'm not as confident there's going to be a Sixers parade uh, as I was once upon a time. Well, certainly not after the first couple of games when Harden got here, and right. it looked like they were just going to sail into the playoffs. Oh, he and Embiid, pal, and just you know, and, and just blow everything you know, just just blow everything out of their path all their way to a championship. Um, no, they don't look that way now. I mean, every so often you'll get that game, like the Carolina game or Charlotte game, like a week ago, and they scored 140 points. Um, but that's that's the exception. Right now, this is a team that's struggling. You know the, you know the big guy is still the big guy, and he's still doing his part. But yeah, lobbying a little too much for MVP in my mind. But I hope he wins it. Yeah, I don't. I honestly don't know that there's much question about it. Really, I mean, oh, I, he's not going to win it. He's not. No. Who? No. Jokic is going to win it. I don't know. I mean, oh, yeah. if you, if you go by the if you go by the Doctor J endorsed Jokic the other day. Yeah, which uh, which a lot of people thought like. Yeah, I mean, come you know, on. disloyal to the school. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, if that's your opinion, keep it to yourself. You're, yeah, you're Doctor J for God's sakes. You're yeah, you're Dr. the face being, of the franchise. Hey, listen, I'm I'm. I'm mixed feelings on it because we ask guys to be honest when we ask them questions. And so somebody asked him the question and he was honest. So, right. I can't really rip doc for saying what he thought, but nonetheless, I didn't want to hear that from doc that they have the whole commercial series where doc is in Embiid's head, right? You've seen those commercials, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. He's in his head saying, Hey, you're not the MVP. Well, let me, uh, let me, what is, what are the Sixers without him? Oh, there's nothing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, isn't, I, isn't that kind of how we define an MVP? Yeah, I'm. Hey, listen, I'm not arguing the argument. I'm. I'm just telling you that every indication I've gotten from people who have done straw polls, and voters, people who actually vote on this thing, who have expressed their opinion, is that Embiid is not going to get it. I hope he does. I, I you know, I. I don't watch the league enough that I could tell you why Jokic should win it and not Embiid or not, right? Mm-hmm. I watch the Sixers. I really don't watch the rest of the NBA very much. So right. I'm not you know, a person who can give you that opinion, but I can just tell you that from what what people are saying is that it, it ain't going to be Embiid. Well, well, that surprises me because, you know, like you, I mean, I don't watch a whole lot of NBA other than the Sixers, but I do watch the Sixers. And, you know, I see the team that's on the floor every night, and all I know is if they didn't have – if they didn't have Embiid, no, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't even be games. talking about the playoffs. No, they'd win 25 games without yeah. him. Sure. I mean, they'd be the Flyers and Sneakers is what they'd be. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Don't want to see that. No, let's, nor do uh, I. Let's go to Joe. He's on WIP. Hello, Joe. Hey, how are you guys doing today? All right. We're good. <laughs> good, good. Um, so I was just calling in because uh, you guys were talking a little earlier about you know, what the Eagles might do with those extra draft picks that they have this year and how they're leaning towards maybe getting another wide receiver. But you guys also mentioned that, you know, you never know exactly what you're going to get when you draft. So I was thinking with D.K. Metcalf, you know, wanting to get out of Seattle and us wanting to give Jalen Hurts, you know, that one year to really prove what he's got, I I think D.K. is a great fit. And if you're looking at a first-round pick to get him, I mean, we we went with – wasn't it Rager that draft instead of getting DK Metcalf? So no, no, that was that, that was that was that was our White side. Yeah. Oh, uh, not not any better. No, no, Rager was <laughs> Jefferson. So yeah, so, that's right. Pick your point. Uh, yeah. So uh, listen, way, I'd love I, him to I get DK Metcalf. I would, Joe. I would love him to get DK Metcalf. I don't know that the one first round pick does it. I don't know. Uh, and the other thing, you you, and I'm not going to speak against it, but I'm going to say that when you get a guy like that, a veteran like guy like that. 
you're going to end up having to pay him more. One of the advantages of, of the draft is that the guy you get is on a first-year contract for the first four or five years, so it's cheaper. That said, uh, would I trade one of those those first two first-round picks even up for Metcalf? Yeah, I would. Ray, would you? Yeah, I probably would, although uh, John Schneider, the general manager in Seattle, has th- th- this chatter has been around a lot about Metcalf maybe being moved, not just to the Eagles, but to a lot of teams. Uh, and Schneider has come out and said that's not happening. We're, you know, he's not. He's yeah, we're not moving. Well, I mean, they let Russell Wilson go, right? They let they they let the guts of the defense go. They're they, kind. They, they are kind of in a rebuild. Yeah, they are kind tank. of in a rebuild. But you know, Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson are older players. You know, DK Metcalf is not. You have to rebuild around something. So who's their quarterback now? Hmm. Who's their quarterback? Oh, is it Drew Lock? Drew Lock, I think. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. Uh, Joe, okay. I you know I would do it. I, I don't anticipate it happening, but I would I would do it. And I also don't know if that would be enough to get him. I don't know what they would be looking for for him. So I can't say. 215-592-9494. He's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack. Now, coming up, we always at 11 o'clock on Saturdays do our Shibe Sports Moment of the Week. And this is a fun one. And, Ray, it's actually an opportunity to talk hockey for five minutes. That's something we never get to do. <laughs> So. Yes, it will be fun to talk about hockey. Obviously, hey, we're the not Flyers talk- have won two road games in a row. So, woohoo! Yeah, well, we're not going With to the spend a, goalie. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about the here and the now. We're going to talk about back when Flyer hockey was fun. Yeah, because yeah, it is an anniversary of something fun. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack. Now on ninety four. WIP, uh, you already know that United Tire delivers value and expertise, but now they're also delivering hope. Right now, a portion of purchases made at United Tire will help those in desperate need in Ukraine by United Way. With locations across the Delaware Valley, you can trust you're getting the best deal on the industry's most trusted tires, all while helping those displaced in Ukraine. United Tires, United for Ukraine. Remember, don't drive alone, drive United. Ray and Glenn, Saturday morning, 94 WIP. Let me give you the numbers. We do have, uh, I know we're going to have time this segment to get in some calls. We've got a packed show today, including Mitch Williams for Tell Us Your Story at noon, but this is a segment where I built in some time to take calls. So if you want to get on the air, 215-592-9494. All right, Ray. Before that, it is time for this week in Philadelphia sports history, brought to you by Shive Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or shivesports.com. All right, Ray, it was way back in 1989. The Flyers are playing the Washington Capitals in the playoffs. Third periods, Flyers lead 7-5. to five. That was not a very tight defense of a game, was it now? No, it was not. Uh, Killing a penalty late in the third period. The puck goes behind the Flyers' net, and here's what happens. Keep in mind, the Flyers have a two-goal lead, and the Flyers are also shorthanded. And there may be time for a first for Ron Hextall in the playoffs. The situation would be right as Peters heads off right now. Hextall stops it. Flip out down the ice. He's got a chance. He's got a chance. He's got it. Yes, sir. Yes. The first time ever it's happened in the playoffs. Ron Hextall with a minute and two seconds to go. (laughs) It is eight to five in favor of the Flyers. All right. First of all. How about Doc Emmerich foreseeing it before it happens? Yep, that's what made Doc great. 
Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, by the way, there was Doc Emmerich and Bill Clement, which was such a great combo, man. That, you know, we talk about great play-by-play teams right. in our city, and we've had a lot of them. Oh, we have. Uh, and we have we have a lot of them today. Marilyn Mike is great today. Scott in L.A. is great today. We'll see how the other guys who are going to work in the Phillies games go. But we've had some great broadcasting teams. Uh, I like Kate Scott and Allah. I think they're doing a very nice job. I do, too. They're very good together. Um, but way back in the day, that was a really great one with Doc Emmerich and Billy Clement. Anyway, that you you heard what just happened. Uh, the Flyers are in the playoffs. Hextall scores with a minute and two left in the game. Gives them a three to two edge in the series. Two days later, they beat the Capitals uh, and win the series uh, and advance. I'm trying to remember who they ended up. They lost to Montreal that year in '89. Yeah, I forget I so. who they lost to in '89. Anyway, um, but it was his second goal. Uh, he had actually scored his first goal. Uh, and Ray, what I didn't know is that you have a you got a little uh, a little part of this story here. Well, sort of. Um, that season when Ron Hextall, the, the year when Ron Hextall was a rookie, not that particular year, but the year that he was a rookie, um, he December eighth, nineteen eighty seven. Yep, he came, he came up. Pelly Lindbergh had uh, had been killed in a car crash. Uh, the Flyers open the season. Uh, with Ron Hextall, was called up from the minor leagues, starts the opening game against uh, Edmonton, wins the game, uh, and all of a sudden becomes this sensation. And played and went on, and, you know, at that point, Mike Keenan says, he's my goalie, and, um, and, and he goes on this run, and he's winning games and, you know, getting in fights. <laughs> and he's, uh, he's really kind of a revelation, really, because nobody knew all that much about him. Uh, unless he was you were... unique. Uh, as a, He was one of the – well, most unique is not a real thing, but he was totally unique as a player uh, when he came up because goalies didn't do either of those t- two things that you're talking about. No, no, they didn't. Uh, yeah, I mean, some guys would handle the puck a little bit, but not like he did. Uh, not that they would skate it out like he did. Not that they would defend their crease the way he did. Not that they would drop their gloves and fight the way he did. I mean, he yeah. was uh, – and then he did all the, all the goalie stuff on top of it. He was a really good goalie on top of all this stuff. Um, and – so, I guess, you know, four or five weeks into the season when Hextall's becoming really kind of a thing in the city, the sports air at the Daily News, I was still at the Daily News, uh, Mike Rath had said, why don't you go, do a, why don't we go down there and do a profile about this guy? Tell us, because we know he comes from a hockey family. We know his father played, his grandfather scored a Stanley Cup winning goal for the Rangers. And, you know, there's, there's a whole chain of Hextalls. Right. There's a whole chain of Hextalls in the NHL. So, you know, go write a story about him and the whole Hextall family. So, fine, sounds like fun to me. So I went down and interviewed Hexy after a practice, and uh, I could not have been a nicer guy. I mean, he was great. We just sat and we talked, and we're talking about all the usual stuff. And then um, he just volunteers. I mean, just totally volunteers that, uh, and I'm going to be the first NHL goalie to actually score a goal in a game. You know, and none of this stuff that it bounces in off somebody else and the goalie. No, I'm going to score. I'm going to shoot and score a goal. I'm going to be the first NHL goalie to do it. And I laughed. I thought he was kidding around. And he gave me this look like, what are you laughing at? Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then he went on to explain, you know, that, you know, I practice this stuff. You know, in practice, I just, you know, before practice, I'm out there skating and, you know, I'm, I'm carrying the puck. And, you know, I, I, can, I can hit a wrist. I can hit the corners with a wrist shot from center ice. He said, I can really shoot the puck. Um, and he said, look, I'm not going to be stupid about it. And, and this gets into what Mike Emmerich is saying, that the Flyers are killing a penalty which means that Hextall can shoot at the length of the ice and not get an icing call. 
so he can take that shot. It's not going to be icing. So um, he said, you know, the situ- if the situation has to be right. right late, it was uh, a, a little more than a minute left in the game, and they had a two-goal lead. Right, so yeah. We got, a two, we, got a two, we got a two-goal lead. We're killing a penalty. We're trying to ice the puck anyway. Um, if the situation is right, I'm going to take a shot at it, and I can do it. And so when I wrote the story about Hextall, uh, I led with that. I led with this, this, you know, him just saying very matter-of-factly, yeah, I'm going to be the first goalie to score a goal. And, um, and lo and behold, he was. And I remember talking to Dave Poulin about it, like, the next day. And I, I'm sort of laughing about it. So, you know what Hexy told me yesterday? He said, you know, he's, he says he's going to be the first goalie to actually score a goal in an NHL game. And Poulin said, oh, yeah, he will. And, I, and, and he said, you know, we see him in practice, the way he handles the puck, the way he can shoot the puck. Yeah, he absolutely is going to be the first guy to do it. And it wasn't that far into the season that he did do it. But uh, I, want to, I want to lay claim to the fact that I was the first one to actually write about it. Wow, that's pretty good. That's very good. Uh, yeah, he, he was so much fun to watch the first time around. Um, you know, the second time around he was a little tamer and, and not as talented. But when he came up and those first couple seasons, and as you said, he would fight people. I mean, you know, there's the, the, famous, the famous thing where he, he got even for the cheap shot on Brian Prop, right? Yeah, he went after Chelios. Chelios. Yeah, and yeah. just <laughs> crushed him. And there's the time he used his goalie stick like, a, like an axe chopping down trees. He did that a few times and earned some suspensions. Uh, but he did that, and there was always excitement when he played. He, he was one of the more fun players I, over the years. If, if you're going to make a list, all sports, of the most exciting players to watch, he's, I think he's young Hextall. Hextall version one is on my top ten. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and uh, you know during play stoppages when he would bang his hockey stick on yeah, the when he would yeah, bang yeah, the yeah. goalie stick oh, on the God. on the crossbar. Yeah, and you'd hear that clanging sound yeah. all over the building. It was really he was a show. I mean, he was really a show. And it, the thing that I remember about covering him, and I admired this tremendous. I admire this in an athlete that can do this, and this kid did it all every time. He always blamed himself. Like if the team lost a game. He said, "Blame me, you know. I'm the one. To, you know, I'm the puck got past me. It's, there was he was the he was one of the he was one of the most accountable players that I've seen come through the city. He never he never never even suggested that anybody else was at fault if they lost a game. He always he always pointed the finger at himself, even when it was not deserved. I mean, he was always quick to step up and take the fall. And I, it's not an easy thing to do." It's not an easy thing to do. And you look around professional sports, Lord knows these days, and nobody wants to do that. But he did it all the time. I really, I really respected it. It's one of the reasons why his teammates loved him. Hey, by the way, our uh, Tell Us Your Story guest at noon is a guy who certainly rose to that occasion. Yes, he did. Himself. Yes, he did. Mitch Williams, uh, when he gave the home run to Joe Carter, I think one of the reasons that people in this town embrace Mitch Williams is because he didn't put that on anybody. He did put it on himself, and we will talk to him about that in that interview. Uh, one last thing on this, because you talked about the way he used to, uh, during the whistles, the stoppages, he used to uh, bang the pipes. Right. Uh, we bought, the house that I live in now, we bought uh, when he was in his glory with the Flyers. And back when my kids were young, uh, kids in this neighborhood used to have street hockey games that would last all day. Actually, I would play in them, and adults would play in them, and kids would play in them, and, you, you know, you just kind of, 
Everybody, we, there would be five-year-olds and 15-year-olds and 45-year-olds, and we would just have these four-hour street hockey games, and you'd go in and have lunch, and you'd come out, and the game was still going, and a couple other kids would come, and buy, come by, and this kid's little sister wanted to play, and they, it was great. It was one of the things I loved about my neighborhood. And there was a little boy on the street, eight, nine years old, who wanted to play goalie. And so he gets in there, and <laughs> every stoppage, he did the Hextel pipe. Little kids would emulate that, and I always thought that was that was pretty funny. The way years ago, well, I guess no, it actually probably was around the same time. You would see kids in little league games do the Mike Schmidt kind the of wi- the wiggle at the plate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or before that, it wasn't really here as much as Cincinnati. The Joe Morgan flapping the of the wing. arm. Yeah, yeah. It's always funny when you see little kids watch their heroes and then try to emulate them, and that's what they used to do. Uh, okay, one other thing I want to bring up this this uh, segment. By the way, five nine two two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Ray, the Masters is going on, and I guarantee you that one out of every five people, mo- no more than one out of every five people, is able to tell you who's leading right now. That's true. By the way, it's Scotty Scheffler who's got a five stroke lead going into today. Yep. Uh, and a 250 tee off. But what everybody can tell you is Tiger Woods made the cut, played the four, walked, which is what well, I'll ask you about in a moment, walked the first two rounds, did okay. He was two over 74 yesterday. He's one over. He's tied for 19th. Right. Actually, not, not bad. Striking distance, I guess. Um, but the, the miraculous thing is that he played, he's playing. And I know you were very excited about this thing. I let get your thoughts. Yeah, I was. I was uh, because I mean there were. Listen, I mean that car crash, and you can blame him for it. I mean I'm not. Oh try, yeah. I'm not going to try and make right, he's him. The, he's not a hero in this. No, story. no, no. And I'm not trying to make him be one. But if you remember, if you read the reports of the accident that he was in in Los Angeles, I mean for a time the doctors were thinking of amputating his leg. I mean that's this wasn't just like a, a minor break i mean that they they were thinking seriously of amputating his leg um and they put it back together again and it, right now it's all full of screws and plates and everything it, and and rods it's there's very little bone in there uh and the feeling was okay he'll walk again but the idea that he's ever really really going to play true competitive golf is beyond question i mean it's not going to happen uh and even he kind of suggested that uh for a time but then he started coming back and you heard reports that he was out playing and then he played in that exhibition thing with his son last year and played pretty well riding in a golf cart but he was hitting the ball and then a month or so ago you heard well you know guess what he's he's dropping in at augusta playing to practice and so he's not just going to augusta for a little just for a little fun this isn't for ha-has if he was going to augusta i mean i'm saying he's 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 practicing i mean and if if he can walk around that course and he feels like he can compete, he's going to play. And sure enough, here he is. Now, yesterday, it looked like he was going to shoot himself out of the tournament. Uh, he had yeah, like he had a rough four, start. Yeah, four of the first five holes he bogeyed, and it looked like he was on his way to being not making the cut. But then he pulled it together on the back nine, survived the cut, and he's nine shots back right now, but he's only four shots out of second place. So, I'm, and listen, there's nobody, nobody is happier than this than the TV networks. Oh gosh, yes. Because they, now people are going. To, now people have a reason to watch this weekend. Yes, yes. Listen, golf has golf. To me, is only interesting when the players are interesting. 
And right. most golfers are not interesting to me. I don't really want to watch Shane Lowry against Hideki Matsuyama against Charles Schwartzel and Kevin Na. Right? I'm looking at those names because I couldn't give them to you off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. The guys I know on the leaderboard are Dustin Johnson, who I like. He's like the guy I would root for, and Scotty Scheffler. Mm-hmm. I, I be honest with you, as a casual golf fan, I don't even know most of these other guys. Yeah. Scheffler's right. really good. Scheffler's game is yeah. rock solid. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah, really good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and no fluke that he's winning this thing. Golf works best when – actually, it works best when there's a great rivalry, which there hasn't been for a while, right? Yeah, not since Tiger and, and uh, Mickelson were really right. kind of at the Tiger peak. and Mickelson was, was pretty good. Um, I guess Craig Norman for a while, but you knew you always knew he was going to lose. Right. VJ Singh, yeah, I guess. But he was he was really boring. I mean, you go back to like Arnie and and Jack, right? Which yeah. I know goes way back. But that's it's one of those sp- golf and tennis and certain sports like that work really well because they're individual sports. You want the rivalry. They don't have a rivalry now, and they really don't have a lot of compelling figures. It's just not most people don't know and don't care. But they no one care about Tiger Woods, and you're right. The networks are showing every shot he makes. He's in 19th place. But it's like, all right, we're, we're going to go off of Scheffler now, and we're going to show you Tiger Woods on his second shot. Yep. Yeah, oh, they believe me. All the network guys were down on their knees praying yeah. yesterday afternoon that Tiger survived the cut. Didn't, he didn't have to be at, at the top. I mean, that would have been gravy if he had been. But just – just get to the just get to Saturday, okay? Just get to Saturday. Get us that weekend audience, and he managed to do that. And you know, now we'll see. I mean, five stroke lead after thirty six holes ties is tied for the biggest lead in in the history of the tournament. Uh, and uh, we'll see. You know, Scheffler has won tournaments before, but he's never won a major, uh, and he's never led in a major. So this is uncharted water for him. You know, he's never been in this position yeah. where he's got. Two rounds to go, and he's got a five-shot lead for the Green Jacket. Let's, you know, he's a really good player, and as I said, he's got a real solid game. There's really no weakness in his game, but let's see how he deals with the pressure because he's going to be feeling it today. Yeah, let's talk to Rich in Huntington Valley. You're on with Ray and Glenn. Hello, Rich. Good morning, guys. I just had a thought about Mickey Moniak. The poor guy struggled for five years in the minors, and he finally finds himself. And the day before opening day, he gets hurt, and he's out for four to six weeks. I know. I know. It's 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 a shame. I really feel bad for him. Yeah, I think we all do. I think we all do. Because he was a guy that, I mean, everybody had written off. I think even to a large degree, the organization. To be honest with you, um, exactly. If, if I mean, if it isn't for if it isn't for Herrera getting hurt, I'm not even sure he gets a sniff down in Clearwater. But the opportunity presented itself, and uh, give him credit, and give the coach, give the hitting coach Kevin Long credit for adjusting his stance and adjusting his swing. And he got the he was handed the opportunity, probably his last one, and he took advantage of it. Had a monster spring, and then <laughs> the the last preseason game before they come north, he gets hit by a pitch and breaks his hand. It's just it's really really a tough break. You just you just hope it doesn't derail him. I hope so too. All right, Rich, appreciate. Thanks for bringing that up, Ray. Uh, terrible news just uh, tweeted by Adam Schefter uh, involving a, a young former NFL player, Dwayne Haskins. They stand out of Ohio State before struggling to catch on with Washington and Pittsburgh in the NFL. Died this morning. Oh my God! When he got hit by a car in South Florida. Oh my God! Per his agent Cedric Saunders, Haskins would have turned 25 on May 3rd. Oh jeez. 
Wow. That is a, that is a tragic story. Wow. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I mean, he was a big-time player at Ohio State, Heisman Trophy finalist, first-round NFL draft pick of Washington, um, was the starting quarterback, you know, for that team. And they mm-hmm. thought that the, he was the guy they were going to build around, and it never quite happened for him. Uh, and then he went to Pittsburgh to try and get his career back on track. Um, oh, what a, what a sad story. I didn't know that. Mm-mm. Oh, my well, goodness. it just happened. I mean, it just report just came out. So, wow. Very sorry to hear that. All sympathies to his friends and family. Uh, all right. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. Coming up, we do have time for your calls, and I'm going to give you a review, Ray, of a TV show. I'm going to put you this way, Ray. Mm-hmm. A TV show that you would like and will never watch. Oh, there's but a lot others, of those. Yeah, I know there are. Uh, and and others will watch this, and it's it's good stuff that I discovered. We'll talk about that. Don't forget, Mitch Williams tells your story at noon because it's baseball season. Ray, it's baseball season. Say it. Phillies 89 wins. <laughs> right. uh, I'm not quite there yet. I know. You'll, hey, they sweep this homestand against a pathetic A's team. I'll catch you, and you'll, you'll be there. We'll see. All right. Hey, by the way, so tonight I am uh, doing the emceeing in the uh, post-theater, uh, what do you call it, back talk? You don't call it back talk. No, we, you no, we got it backwards. It's called talk back. Talk back. All right, fine. For Tommy and me at the Bucks County Playhouse, and I'm looking forward to that. Ray, if the Phillies are 2-0 and at that point. Yeah. Which they very may well be. Yeah, they probably should be playing this team. I am going to ask you in front of cast and audience, if you are aboard the bandwagon yet. Oh, don't do this to me. Ray, I'm just trying to sell tickets for you. <laughs> well, People come on out and see, see the that. play. Yeah, okay. We've had, we've, the play we've had two, Ray's answer. No, we've had, we've had two really, really good nights at the play, and we'll be there tonight and again tomorrow. If you know, anybody wants to come out and see Glenn and I tonight and see Tommy and me, come on out. Bucks County Playhouse, 8 o'clock curtain, um, or get tickets for tomorrow's show at 2. It's it's really been going good, Glenn. The Bucks County Playhouse is everything everything I thought it was going to be. Yep. 215-592-9494. Hey, are you tired of dealing with your old drafty windows and doors in your house? Well, maybe it's time you finally go Guida. The great people at Guida Door and Window will help make your window and door replacement project more affordable with their buy one, get one half off sale. For every door or window you buy, you get a second one at 50% off. And you can mix and match the savings to suit your own needs. Buy an entry door. Get half off a storm door. Buy a patio door. Get 50% off a window. If you need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, it's easy because you save 50% on half the project. The more you need, the more you save. Plus, Guida is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down and interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Act Now offers for a limited time only. Restrictions apply. For full details, call Guida today. Schedule a free, no-obligation in-home estimate at 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. From the Augusta National Golf Club, Westwood One Sports presents this special report on the Masters. I'm Ted Emmerich. After a 4-over-76 on Thursday, Justin Thomas looked headed towards slamming his trunk and heading home this evening. But Thomas won't just play the weekend here. He might be a factor. Nine iron for Justin Thomas. and He's got to stand on this. Starts it out to the right. Flag is on the left. Takes a big hop to the left from 166. Here, this one comes down the hill. Hang on a second. Justin Thomas has hit it to a couple of inches. Whoa! 
Stewart Sink made a hole in one about an hour ago, and JT just about put it in on top of him. What a shot. Brian Kittrick, the call on at 16 there on Sirius XM. Thomas with the kick in birdie. He's five under for the round. Best score of the day. JT is six off the lead. Scotty Scheffler, seven under par. And he's got three feet for birdie coming up at 16. You're listening to coverage of the 2022 Masters on Westwood One. My name is Douglas. I'm 79 and I live in Chicago. I'm a writer, director. I used to be a marathon runner. Now I'm a walker. In the kind of work that I do, you are surrounded by people who are all younger than you. Memory became a factor. As everyone gets older, where did I put my keys? But I had to get help somewhere along the line to stay competitive. I happened across Prevagen, and I started taking it. I saw myself having an improved memory, which at the same time, I felt better about myself. I could not be doing what I'm doing today had it not been for Prevagen. Prevagen, healthier brain, better life. Douglas is a paid testimonialist and real Prevagen user. Based on a clinical study of subgroups of individuals who are cognitively normal or mildly impaired, this product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Tiger Woods is going to make the cut in his first tournament since the car crash last year, sporting a turquoise golf shirt and navy pants. Woods on the green at 18, two over for his round and one over for the tournament. He's eight off the lead. Let's check the leaderboard. Sponsored by Prevagen. Prevagen is the most recommended memory support brand by pharmacists. Woods doffing his cap after making his par putt at 18, acknowledging the patrons. Woods at one over. Heading into the weekend, the leader is Scotty Scheffler at seven under par. Scheffler with three holes to go, four under today. Charles Schwartzel, Sung J.M., Shane Lowry, Hideki Matsuyama, all at three under, four shots back of the number one player in the world. From Augusta, I'm Ted Emrick, Westwood One Sports. Mr. Gray will remember everything that he has ever known, but the treatment will only work once. Is that what you want? I got a lot of things to do, and I need my memory to do it. There you go, Ray. That is a show called The Days of Ptolemy Gray on Apple TV+. Uh, and I, I, this is my advice to anybody, to you and to anybody. If you don't get Apple TV+, I don't know how many people do. You know, it's one of the streaming services that you have to pay for. Get it for a month. And most of these have, like, introductory offers. Get it for a month for 4 bucks, and, you know, that's it. Get Apple TV Plus for a month. Watch this. Watch Severance. If you remember, Ray, that Severance is like a science fiction show I reviewed a couple weeks ago. I remember. Which has now uh, the first season finished, and it got better and better. Severance is a great show. Ted Lasso is on Apple TV+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Morning Show, which I really liked. I know you spoke to Michael Barkan about that as well. Michael loves it. I love it, too. Coda, the the winner, the best movie of the year. Coda's on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where you watch Coda. It's probably other places now, but that's where it started. Mythic Quest was a good show. Apple TV+, Plus has a lot of good stuff. You know, like, just get it for a short period of time. Binge. You don't have to pay forever. Um, there's a show on there that I'm intrigued. I want to watch called slow horses, which is a, a, a British cop show. Hello, right up my alley. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but the one I do want to talk about today is this one. It's and, and the name is a little tough to remember. Days of Ptolemy Gray. And Ptolemy J is Samuel L. Jackson, who stars as a geriatric uh, widower. He's like 90 uh, in this series. And his problem is that he's got Alzheimer's uh, and it's coming at, he's, it's coming at an alarming rate and he can't remember anything. But his body is really strong. His body is stronger than that of a young man. Um, he's marginalized. He's old. He's poor. He's black. He lives in a little messy apartment uh, in Atlanta. He's got an, a nephew who looks out for him. But in the show, the nephew gets in the series. The nephew gets murdered early in the series. This is important. Um, so we get to the part where, you know the character actor Walter, Walton Goggins? Yes. Okay. He's in it. Uh, and he plays a doctor who's an Alzheimer's expert developing a cure for the disease. And um, Samuel L. Jackson goes to see him, has an appointment. Great news. They have a cure. One shot for Alzheimer's will completely restore your memory, not just like what you had for dinner last night or what you watched on TV, but you will remember everything that ever happened in your life. The good stuff and the bad stuff. And mm -hmm. in this case, there's some real bad stuff. There's a problem, though. The side effect, not the side effect, but the bottom line, there are side effects, high fever and so on. But the bottom line is it doesn't work forever. And when it's done, when it wears off, you're not going to just be back at square one, but you're going to actually be more addled than you were before. Now, we've seen this plot line in other ways before. You remember Flowers for Algernon? Sure. Which sure. they made into a movie, Charlie. Right, with Cliff, Cliff Robertson. Cliff, right, he won the Oscar for that. He won the Oscar for that, right. Right, and there was a um, there was a thing with Robert De Niro. And Robin Williams. And Robin Williams. Called the, Awakenings. Awakenings, where uh, they got, he got a shot of El Dopa, and it worked, and Robin Williams, who had been, no, it's not Robin Williams, Robert De Niro, who hadn't been able even to respond, suddenly becomes, has full awareness, but it wears off. So we've seen this plot before. And here it is again. The difference is, well, let me back up. So he agrees to take the shot, and it's, it is the Faustian deal, right? Because he knows in the end it's, it's not going to happen. But he knows that the nephew who was murdered early in there and wants to figure out, wants to solve the crime. Uh, there are also references to things that happened early in his life. He witnessed the lynching of his uncle, and he had a thing with his wife. But the bottom line thing is, he knows that the nephew who cared for him was murdered, and he believes that if he gets full alertness and awareness and mental capabilities, he can solve the crime. He's in a race to solve it before the shot wears off. Now, did, did you say, was he, was he a cop? Does he have any no. background in this? No, but it's going to make him smart enough that he's going to be able to do it. Oh, okay. Um, and that's the plot, and that's the story. There's a lot of plot elements. There's it's six episodes, and at one point I think – you could say they either should have made more episodes or taken a couple of the various uh, superfluous plot lines out because it gets a little bit too crowded. But the bottom line is it's Samuel L. Jackson, and he's great. Uh, and you see him as an old man, and then you see him as kind of a, a bit of a younger man. They do some great makeup or CGI or something. And it's a very compelling story, and I recommend it. Um, once again, it is called The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray mm -hmm. on Apple TV. 
uh, and I am not a spokesman for Apple TV. I get nothing from them. I pay them. I pay uh, Ray. I've told you about my cable bill. I, pay, I have heard about your cable I bill. Pay, I, I get every streaming service there is, and my wife says, "What are we? What are we doing? We we got to cut back on this." She said, "All right, we we got to lose one. All right, we losing Netflix or Amazon?" I said, "No, we're not losing either of those." I'm like, okay, we'll lose BritBox. It's like, no, you can't take away my BritBox. So I get them all, but I will tell you that Apple TV Plus is about one of the best, and all of those shows I said: Severance, Ted Lasso, Morning Show, Mythic Quest, Coda the Movie, uh, and this one. The days of Ptolemy Gray are really worth seeing, and I highly recommend it. Well, that's good. Samuel L. Jackson's really good. Yeah. Seen him in – I mean, he's made some movies that were kind of junk. But Well, he I mean, sometimes act, plays you know, Samuel actors, L. Jackson as he does on those commercials with Barkley, right? Yeah, yeah. But he's but, but when he's got a meaty role, man, he is he is really, really good. Yeah, and this he's on screen for 95% of this. Yeah. So I recommend it. There you go. Okay. All right, let's go to Pat in Blackwood. You're on with Ray and Glenn. Hi, Pat. Hey, guys. Great show as usual. Hi, Pat. How are you? Very good, Ray. Much respect for you. I, I'm in, a little older, I guess, than you. I'm 79, and I've been I've been an A's fan. Back, my, my idol was first Bain, who came to my house when I was nine years old, and I was sick, and he gave me a baseball and a signed autograph, and I remained in constant contact with him until he died at 80 years old. So wow. That's really – yeah, yeah, that's 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 a great story. Yeah. Ferris Fane, Ferris Fane was uh, was one of my grandmother's favorite players. Two times batting champion, yeah. Yep. Uh, what I want to call up about is Harden, okay? Now, uh, so far, you know, I'm not 100% pleased either what's going on, but I have this sneaky feeling that Harden didn't forget how to play already. I think – this is my own opinion – he hasn't looked good, and you're right on the ball about his lift and everything. That hamstring, he's nursing that thing, but I think you're going to see a different Harden in the playoffs. I could be wrong, but I, I think he's just nursing it until he gets to this playoffs, and you're going to see this guy be another player. Well, I, I hope you're right. The problem, Pat, is the history of him in the playoffs is not great. Yes, it is. So I know. It's, it's not where you can say, like, hey, look how he rose to this yeah. clutch performance and – you know, took his team to the championship. It's it, he's not known as a great playoff, <laughs> excuse playoff me, player. Guy. And so, I think you're you're operating on hope. Well, it's which a is lot okay. Of hope too. It's hope too. I I just think that he really wants to win this championship because he knows his time is limited. He's got Embiid. I just think he's going to come through. It could I be hope wrong. so, man. Thanks, thanks I, for the hey, call, Pat. I hope you're right. Yeah. I think you know. I think every fan in the city's hoping you're right. That, yeah. You know, because yeah, I mean, we know we know what the expectations were, and we know what the excitement level was when the deal was made. And for the first little while, man, it looked it looked beautiful. <laughs> I mean, the Sixers became appointment viewing at that point. Remember the TV ratings for the first few games? Yeah, it was the highest since the two thousand one playoffs. Yeah, it was the highest since Iverson, yeah. and uh, and that that was the level of excitement that that guy brought. And you know, now it's kind of like, oh, we're kind of where Pat is. We're just kind of hoping. You know that eh, he'll be fine. You know, get, you know he'll peak for the playoffs. You know, and, but I, I kind of agree with you. I think it's more hope than realistic. And yeah, which doesn't mean it can't happen. But no, 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 it can happen. I would feel a lot better. I felt a lot better two weeks ago than I do today. I'll put it to you that way. Yeah, yeah, I know. And they got a bad indie team today, so they'll probably, you know, they'll probably win this one handily. But I think today is the game you talked about last week. They're going to win by twenty-five points today. Yeah, that it kind of has that. It kind of has that feel to it. 
but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have righted the ship. No, you know, not, I mean, not at all. The bigger challenges lie down the road. Yeah. Yes, they do. Robert in Germantown is with us. Hi, Robert. Good morning, guys. Always a pleasure on my Saturday morning drive to listen to you, too. Thank you. Um, question, question for you guys. Uh, two questions, really. First for you, Glenn. Who's your favorite actor having played my favorite British detective, Sherlock Holmes? Who would you go with? Who's the favorite one who played Sherlock Holmes? Can I go yeah, with Basil? I can I go way back with Basil Rathbone? Hey, you and I think alike. Or my father That's used to call him nasal bathrobe. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love that series. That Basil Rathbone. I, I will tell you, and and you know, I talk about my dad on this show. My dad Marv, uh, and I'm, I love my dad, and he's doing great. Um, when I was a little boy, my father loved those Sherlock Holmes movies, and of course, right. you know, this is before you could just watch anything when you wanted to watch anything. And on TV at night, like 10 o'clock on Friday nights or something like that, they had Sherlock Holmes or Charlie Chan or these old black-and-white detective movies on the local VH, UHF station. And I would stay up. I'm, I'm like 10 years old. I'd stay up to midnight watching these with my dad. And it's, it's a really fond memory for me. So I'll, I'll go with uh, Nasal Bathrobe. <laughs> me too. And, and, and that guy that played Watson was Nigel something or other to – Goofy that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you got? You, what do you got on the draft? Well, for you, Ray, here's the part that I don't understand. So I used to be in the corporate world. If I'm Harry Roseman, I don't get why he doesn't defer the whole draft process to some guy that really knows what they're doing. Either way, he's going to take the credit if he gets it right. And if the guy screws it up, how his ass is, uh, pardon the language, how his butt is covered. I don't understand why he doesn't approach the draft that way. I don't know what goes on with this maybe you got some insight on that well no probably not a whole lot more than you do robert uh uh i mean howie has the final word uh howie has the final say um there are a lot of people in the room uh all the scouts all the area scouts uh and they got a bunch of them they're analytics guys i mean there are a lot of people in the room and they've all got input but at some point somebody has to make the final call and um the way it, the way it's set up now it's that's howie now it wasn't always you know, when Andy was, you know, when Andy was the coach, Andy made the call. I mean, everybody kind of had their say, but when it came right down to it, Andy would Andy would be the guy that'd say, "No, we're taking, you know, we're taking this guy." Like I mean, I remember the story about Nick Foles that, you know, that Andy walked over to the board and took the Nick Foles card off the board and walked over and slapped it down on the table and said, "This is the guy we're taking." Mm. And that's kind of the way it worked. I mean, it, you know, everybody kind of had their say, but in the end, you know, the clock's ticking and one guy's got to make the call, and that was Andy. Well, now it's Howie. Uh, and I mean, I mean, he listens to what everybody says, but, and sometimes if, and listen, it, it, it'd be great if it was unanimous, if everybody said, yeah, he's the guy. And I kind of think it was that way last year with Devonte Smith. There wasn't much argument there. I think everybody agreed he was the guy. Well, some years there's disagreement, some years there's agreement, but ultimately Howie's the one that makes the decision. Well, we know that Jeff Lurie uh, was entirely on his own drafting Jordan Mylana. Apparently so. <laughs> Hey, um, somebody, a friend of mine, Jay, wanted me to ask you a question about the Eagle signing Devin Allen, the uh, the guy who hasn't the played hurdler. football. The hurdler, the speedster, hasn't played football since 2016 uh, with the Oregon Ducks. Mm -hmm. The Eagles sign him. Um, I mean, there's no risk there, right? They, they no. Can, they can let him go. Um, any hope here? Um, long shot. But yeah. you just, you, I mean, you just mentioned a long shot, Jordan Mailata. You know, I mean, who could be a longer shot than a guy that's never played football? Yep. Uh, and he's turned out to be a guy that's probably going to be a pro ball player, probably this year. Could have been a pro ball player last year, to be honest. 
Uh, but Devin Allen, yeah, I mean, he's 27, uh, hasn't played football in a while. Uh, he's really more of a track man than a football player. Uh, we've been down this road before. I mean, I've seen well, the Eagles. You, you, you helped dress one of the guys who did this. <laughs> I, I helped dress John Carlos for his first for his first practice. He had literally never put on a football uniform. What are these uniform. pads about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I literally had to dress him because he, he didn't know how to put a football uniform on. Um, now, that was, a, that was an utter long shot because John had never played football. Um, the guys who the track guys who have made successful conversions to football are guys that have a football background. I mean, you kind of have to have that. You know, Ron Brown was like that. Uh, Bob Hayes was like that. Um, you know, but you get guys that are pure track guys, and you just say, well, they're great athletes, they have great speed. But if they've never played football, it's just too much to overcome. I mean, Ronaldo Nehemiah comes to mind. It was, a, an absolute, was the best hurdler in the world, uh, but had no real football background. Bill Walsh tried; he thought he could make him into a football player, and he carried him for a couple of years. I think I think Skeets I think Skeets has a Super Bowl ring. I think he was on mm-hmm. at least one of their Super Bowl teams, but he never really had a breakthrough in pro football. Um, the Eagles are just hoping that the, you know with Devin Allen they could. I mean, he's got he's got tremendous speed, obviously. You know, runs four three four four. Great athlete, hurdler. Uh, but he hasn't he hasn't played real football since 2016. They're just taking a shot, you know. And I think that it's one of those deals that if he comes in, and I don't think he's going to be on your 53, but if he comes in and he has a good training camp and looks like he's picking it up, you know, maybe he's a guy you put on the practice squad for a year, yeah, and give him yep. a chance to develop, and maybe you'll find something. Right, as you said, no risk, maybe reward. Why not? Why not? Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four coming up at noon. Tell us your story with Mitch Williams, Ray. I always you always are good at setting these things up. Yeah, well, um, I, I don't think Mitch needs much setup. <laughs> I think I think everybody out in our audience knows who Mitch Williams is and what he meant to that ninety three team. Set the club record with I think forty three saves that year. Uh, got the final punch out to win the championship series against the Braves that sent the Phillies to the World Series against the Toronto Blue Jays. And, of course, we all know what happened there. Uh, but Mitch has a, a fascinating career, a fascinating life story. And at the end, he tells us what he's doing now with his son, who's a rising young athlete in his own right. It's really, really a good story. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. Baseball is back. It's just what we were talking about. And Scheib Vintage Sports is your home for throwback fashions this spring. Locally owned, Scheib carries national brands as well as original designs by Philly artists. So if you're thinking if you're thinking nostalgia, Philly's nostalgia for baseball, you're thinking powder blue and maroon, of course. You're thinking about those Philadelphia Athletics and Ferris Fain and Bobby Shands and Negro League teams like the Stars, where every sale benefits the Anderson Monarch Youth Baseball Program in South Philadelphia. So you're shopping, and you're shopping for a good cause. Support a locally owned business giving back to the Philadelphia community. Shop Shy Vintage Sports at 13th of Walnuts or shybsports.com. And remember, you tell them that Ray sent you and you will get 15% off. From the Augusta National Golf Club, Westwood One Sports presents this special report on the Masters. I'm Ted Emmerich. After a 4-over-76 on Thursday, Justin Thomas looked headed towards slamming his trunk and heading home this evening. But Thomas won't just play the weekend here. He might be a factor. Nine iron for Justin Thomas. He's got to stand on this. Starts it out to the right. Flag is on the left. Takes a big hop to the left from 166. Here, this one comes down the hill. Hang on a second. Justin Thomas has hit it to a couple of inches. Whoa! Stuart Sink made a hole in one about an hour ago, and JT just about put it in on top of him. What a shot. 
Brian Kaytrick, the call on at 16 there on Sirius XM. Thomas with the kick in birdie. He's five under for the round. Best score of the day. JT is six off the lead. Scotty Scheffler, seven under par. And he's got three feet for birdie coming up at 16. You're listening to coverage of the 2022 Masters on Westwood One. My name is Douglas. I'm 79 and I live in Chicago. I'm a writer, director. I used to be a marathon runner. Now I'm a walker. In the kind of work that I do, you are surrounded by people who are all younger than you. Memory became a factor. As everyone gets older, where did I put my keys? But I had to get help somewhere along the line to stay competitive. I happened across Prevagen, and I started taking it. I saw myself having an improved memory, which at the same time, I felt better about myself. I could not be doing what I'm doing today had it not been for Prevagen. Prevagen, healthier brain, better life. Douglas is a paid testimonialist and real Prevagen user. Based on a clinical study of subgroups of individuals who are cognitively normal or mildly impaired, this product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Tiger Woods is going to make the cut in his first tournament since the car crash last year, sporting a turquoise golf shirt and navy pants. Woods on the green at 18, two over for his round, and one over for the tournament. He's eight off the lead. Let's check the leaderboard. Sponsored by Prevagen. Prevagen is the most recommended memory support brand by pharmacists. Woods doffing his cap after making his par putt at 18, acknowledging the patrons. Woods at one over. Heading into the weekend, the leader is Scotty Scheffler at seven under par. Scheffler with three holes to go, four under today. Charles Schwartzel, Sung J.M., Shane Lowry, Hideki Matsuyama, all at three under, four shots back of the number one player in the world. From Augusta, I'm Ted Emrick, Westwood One Sports. Hi, this is the time of the uh, show on Saturday. We check in with our doctors from Cooper Bone and Joint. Dr. Mark Pollard is with us now. Doc, thanks for being part of the show. Um, Mickey Moniak is the story today. Had a great spring. Looked like the first pick, overall pick, was finally going to pay off six years later. In a game where he hits a home run, in his next at bat, he gets hit by a pitch, has a hairline fracture, um, and I've seen it variously on the wrist and the hand, so I'm, I'm thinking it's a, where the wrist turns into the hand, and he's going to be out for four to six weeks. So I guess the question I would ask you, and obviously you don't have a look at his medical records and x-rays and stuff, but describe, let's just start with this. Describe what a hairline fracture is as opposed to a fracture. Uh, well, both are actually fractures. You know, fractures where uh, the normal architecture of a bone is altered, but, you know, a hairline fracture is essentially just a, a non-displaced crack as opposed to a displaced fracture, which is where the two pieces of the bone actually move. Mm -hmm. And the distinction is important because, you know, a non-displaced or hairline uh, fracture uh, tends to be able to heal much more quickly than a displaced fracture would. And, you know, most of the time, you, especially in the hand, you don't necessarily have to do any surgical procedure to it. So what is what do you do uh, with this? Is it just, you know, you wait and you let it heal and you do nothing and you eat with your other hand, or what do you do? Um, well, it, it depends strongly on, on which bone specifically is involved. So obviously we don't know exactly which one it is. 
um, you know, for some of the the finger bones, you essentially just, you know, buddy tape, you know, tape the finger to the one next to it just to mm-hmm. kind of protect it so it doesn't get caught and, you know, uh, displace and, you know, and just let the fingers move because, you know, if it's, a, if it's in the fingers, you want to prevent stiffness. Uh, so you want to try to encourage early motion as it's safe. Whereas, you know, in the wrist, um, a lot of times you will actually, you know, splint it or put it in a cast, something to immobilize it, to help protect it so it doesn't displace just because they're a little bit more prone to uh, risk of displacing. Uh, and, you know, the wrist doesn't necessarily get stiff so quickly. All right, Dr. Uh, Pollard, as always, thank you for your expertise. We appreciate it and enjoy your weekend. All right, thanks. You as well. All right. There you go. Ray, I was going to ask him if he can come back and uh, still hit 20 home runs this year, but we'll, <laughs> we'll find out. All right, let's, uh, we're going to take a break here, and uh, very exciting. This is, this is a really fun Tell Us Your Story. By the way, Ray, this is our 105th Tell Us Your Story. Wow. Yeah, I know. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, we'll do this for a couple weeks. Yeah, uh, we started, I figured this will get us through the month. Yeah, Mitch Williams, uh, a, a very interesting character and obviously a very important player in the history of this town. Uh, the closer for the 93 Phillies, one of everybody's favorite teams, joins us next with Ray and Glenn on Tell Us Your Story. Good, Mitchie Pooh. Have a one, two, three inning. No way. <laughs> no way. Now the stretch. Three, two, pitch. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. Phillies are the 93 National League champions. Mitch Williams, a one, two, three save, and this place is Bedlam at Veterans Stadium. This wacky, wonderful bunch of throwbacks has won the National League pennant and go on to the World Series. Welcome back. It's Ray Dinger and Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. That great highlight of the Phillies winning the uh, 1993 NLCS and Mitch Williams gives you a clue of our guest today for Tell Us Your Story, sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbank.com. Mitch Williams is one of the most exciting players ever to put on the pinstripes. Three seasons here. He had 102 saves, was part of the beloved 1993 Macho Row team that went to beat the Braves, went to the World Series, ended, of course, with Joe Carter launching a home run. Off of Mitch, but Mitch's handling of that moment won him permanent respect with his fan base. It's always it always was a thrill ride watching Mitch with the long hair and the delivery that had him fall off the mound after every pitch. The wild thing joins us now, Mitch. Thanks for being our guest. Glad thank you all for having me. I'm a big fan of the show, so I'm looking forward to it. So we always like to start at the beginning. You grew up in Westland, Oregon, south of Portland. Give us kind of your memories of how you started playing baseball. Well, I started playing when I was five years old. I remember that. And I remember I had to play shortstop because I was the only kid that could throw it across the diamond. Being left-handed, that to me, it didn't make any difference at the time. But growing up, I figured out that you don't play shortstop if you're left-handed. So uh, that's how I got started into baseball. I played whatever was in season growing up, Glenn. You guys know how that was. I'm sure you and Ray were the same way. Mm-hmm. If it was basketball, I'd watch half a basketball game and then go out and play it. That's how we were, were. We played football, baseball, basketball. We just ran around our neighborhood. I left 
I was born in Santa Ana, California, and we left there, I believe, when I was four. So growing up in Oregon, it was awesome. There were no fences. It was just a place to run free and have fun. Well, you obviously, yeah, you, you obviously had a great high school career uh, in baseball. Your team won the state championship, and you were 17-0, and 0, um, which I don't, you know, I, I, that record probably still stands at Westland High School. I, uh, but when did you, I, I would suspect with that kind of success and your team having that kind of success, um, there must have been scouts. I mean, you were probably being scouted. When were you first aware of the fact that you were, you were on the radar for people that were looking for future prospects? Well, back then, uh, if there was a scout in the stands, everybody knew it. Well, it started my junior year in high school, but it wasn't because of me. I got noticed because my older brother was drafted in 1981, the year before I was. And scouts would call the school my junior year and ask who was starting, and the school would tell them Williams. Well, they'd show up, and it wouldn't be my brother. It'd be me. So I got recognized my junior year because of my brother. So you get drafted by the Padres in 1982, uh, age 17. Man, you're going out trying to make a living. Um, low A, Walla Walla, Washington. And I looked, your first few years in the minors, Mitch Williams. Now, you're a teenager, but you had ERAs of 478, 551, 620, 600. But – Clearly, they're interested in you. You're moving up. What was the indication that you were going to make it? Was it, well, I'll just leave it there. (laughs) Okay, two things. Left-handed, and I threw above 95 miles an hour. That was the only indication, Glenn. (laughs) So I spent three and a half years in the minor leagues proving I couldn't start. Uh, It finally got to a point where I said, uh, I can throw two innings. The first two or the last two, you choose. And that's what it came down to. In the winter of 1985, I believe that I had gotten traded, I had taken in the Rule 5 draft in 84 by the Rangers. Spent the year in A-ball for the Rangers farm system in Salem, Virginia that year. Didn't pitch well. Got moved up to double-A because I got in an argument with the manager in A-ball. And went to double-A, went two and two. And then they sent me off to winter ball to play ball in Puerto Rico. And I honestly believe the Rangers sent me down there to try and blow me up because when I got there, the manager didn't tell me what, what my role was, nothing. So one night I'd throw in relief. Then they'd start me a couple days later. Then one night I, I threw the eighth and ninth inning of a game and showed up to the ballpark the next day, and I was starting. I went, okay, they're either trying to blow me up or turn me into a reliever. So that spring, I threw well in relief in in Puerto Rico. And that spring training, I I went to camp, to big league camp, and Bobby Valentine had taken over halfway through in 85 for the Rangers, for Doug Rader. They were putting on a youth movement. I happened to be in the right place at the right time. There was nine rookies on that team in 86 for the Rangers, and I happened to be one of them because I threw 18 innings that spring, I believe. I think I gave up two runs. So I was the right guy in the right spot at the right time and just happened to throw really well. 
Yeah, you did, and you had, uh, and you came up with the Rangers in '86, and you had success right away. You were eight and six. You got eight saves, as you said. Bobby Valentine's running the show there, um, and you also had the opportunity of working with a really good pitching coach in Tom House, a guy who's um, been one of the more successful and one of the more well-known pitching coaches, bounced around different, a lot of different organizations, but had a lot of success. How much influence did he have on you, Mitch? I, I, I think I read an article that said that he's the one that really encouraged you to pitch every pitch out of the stretch. Yes. Uh, Tom single-handedly got me to the big leagues. Without him, I never throw a pitch in, in big league baseball, and that's just a fact. He took a 17-year-old kid. I was 6'2", ended up getting to 6'4". I weighed 160 pounds. I was all elbows and you-know-what going at the plate. And Tom only wanted to c- control what I did before I let go of it. And, and that's what he worked on. His not, he's a, Tom is a kinesiologist for people that don't know that. Yeah. He is an extremely intelligent guy. He knows everything about every muscle in the body, how it works. And he's the guy that taught me, you can throw every day if you want to. And I wanted to. And that's just how I approached the game. And I, I made myself, I think, in 86, I set the rookie record for games pitched at 80. And then the following year, I pitched in 85. Mm-hmm. And then uh, last year in Texas, I was a closer. I only pitched in 67. But for those people who don't know, I games I pitched in, if I did not throw in the game – I threw a 50-pitch bullpen every single night for 162 games. Yeah, you worked. I mean, you were a workhorse, and you and you gave the stats, and you, you pitched a lot in those days, and you pitched effectively. Uh, I want to fast-forward it a little bit because we have so much to cover here, but just uh, in, in 89, playing for Texas, 36 saves. You led the majors again with appearances. You made the all-star game. Um I'm curious about the nickname. I'm going to move this along a little bit. Um, Major League, the movie, comes out in 1989. And, of course, we right. all know. I was uh, with the Cubs at the time. Okay. Did did you get – how did the nickname transfer from that movie to you? Calvin Schiraldi and I were bullpen mates with the Cubs. Very, very good friends. We were on the road we went and saw the movie. We walked out of the movie, and that dumbass started calling me that name, and that's how it took off. It stuck for a long time. You and, yeah, and just I did. one other thing about it, because you know Ray was talking about Tom House and the influence on you. We watched you pitch, and um, it was always so fun with the long hair flying around, and and you almost falling down on every pitch, every delivery. Did you ever have a pitching coach or manager try to change that rather unique, unconventional delivery? Well, the part about me falling down, that kind of happened after the 1990 season. I always fell off to my right side because I threw so far across my body. And no one ever tried to stop me from throwing across my body because throwing across your body keeps you healthy. And that's a, just a fact of the matter. It keeps everything closed to where you're not blown open and exposing 
the UCL ligament, your shoulder, all of that. So no one ever tried to change that about me. There surely would be coach, pitching coaches that would say, not, don't go so drastically as far as I did. But that just is what felt comfortable to me. So it started, I started falling down or putting my glove down. In 1990, I was covering first base, and I tore the posterior cruciate ligament in my knee. I never had it repaired. I pitched 30 days later and went on with my career. So I never had it fixed, but I'd get to a certain point in my delivery and my knee would collapse. So I had to put my glove down or land on my face. It was one or the other. <laughs> Ray? You know, before before we get too far away from Ricky Vaughn and Major League, um, you know, I always assumed that you were wearing number 99 because the Charlie Sheen character wears, wears that in the movie, and I just thought it was, it was the wild thing hookup. But then I, I read... In a story that, no, 99, that you wore 99 because your favorite football player growing up was Mark Gastineau of the New York Jets. I didn't know that. But I, I, how, how did you develop an affinity for Mark Gastineau? Well, I can tell you, I watched football, Ray, growing up with my father. And I watched everything. I was a huge NFL fan. I was not a baseball fan in any way, shape, or form. I loved football. And... I just became a Gastineau uh, fan back when he was sacking people, and he was really one of the first guys that would get up and celebrate stuff. Him and Joe Klecko, and then Klecko ended up in the movie Smokey and the Bandit. So it was just one of these things. These are guys I can root for, and no one ever knew I wanted that number because of that. But then I finally got to meet him, right? And I really wish I would have met him when he was playing. <laughs> rather than after his uh, Studio 54 appearances. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I read a quote from you saying you should never meet your heroes in later life. It's pro- there's probably a lot of truth in that. Yeah, there is. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's move it to 1991. Philly's about to go into the season, and um, as I remember, it was like right before opening day, like a day or two before opening day, Phillies make a deal with the Cubs. It had been rumored that the Phillies were interested in you, uh, and they trade, I'm trying to find who it was, uh, Bob Scanlon and Chuck. McElroy and Bob Scanlon. Right. For you, what do you recall about the trade to Philadelphia, again, right on the eve of the season? Well, it's a long story, and it all leads back to Philly because there were rumors throughout that spring training that I was getting traded. There was, it was no secret. Jim Fry and I did not get along at all. So I finish up one day out in spring training and mind you, the release date for not having to pay full contracts has now passed. If they were to release me, they would have to pay me one sixth of my contract. So anyway, Game ends in spring training. Reporters are all over my locker afterwards. Have no idea why I didn't even pitch. Come to find out, Jim Price told them uh, if they don't trade me, they could release me. And so I went into Mr. Fry's office, and I sat down with him, and I said, well, Jim, I hear you're either going to trade me or release me. And he said, well, that's a possibility. <laughs> I said, okay, well. I hope you do, then I'll be a free agent a year earlier and you'll be dubbed the stupidest GM in history. He said, why is that? 
I said, you can trade me today for two guys making 100000 you're going to release me and pay me 375 I don't think that's very good business, Jim. And I walked out of his office. He waited until the night before the season to trade me for Scanlon and McElroy so I could get moved into my apartment in Chicago. So that's how that all went down. I didn't. Even, I did. I grabbed my suitcase and left. I got to Philly. I had to borrow maroon shoes. I showed up in at LaGuardia an hour before game time. <laughs> was there a was there a feeling on your part? I mean, you had been with the Cubs, so you had been in the National League. You had been through Philadelphia. Was there a feeling on your part that Philadelphia would be a good situation for you? I mean, when you walked into it, did you feel good about it? I'll be honest, Philly was not one of my favorite places to come. I mean, I'm a country boy, so Philly is not some place that I would be drawn to until this fat guy got traded from San Diego over here. When Crucky came here, and he had been with the Phillies for at least a year, and I got the news that I had been traded here. I've known Crucky since I was 17 years old. So I was thrilled about being traded here to be have the opportunity to play with Jake, well, I mean with Crucky and Dutch and Lenny and those guys. I didn't have any idea how fun I was getting, how much fun I'd end up having, but it was the kind of baseball I wanted to play. Yeah, it was it was a fun and exciting team. Now ninety one and ninety two, the team wasn't particularly good. You had a really good year in ninety one. Thirty saves, twelve wins, two thirty four ERA. And um, early in that season, uh, the Phillies decide Nick Leva no, and they bring in Jim Fergosi. What was your uh, what was your relationship with Fergosi? What was your sense of, of Fergosi? Well, when I when I got to Philadelphia, Roger McDowell was a closer, so Nick Leva called us in when I first got here, and he said, "You and McDowell are going to split closing." I said, "Fine." Well, thirteen games into the season that year, they fired Nick and hired Jim. The first day Jim was there, and he called me in his office, and he said, you're the closer. And I said, okie dokie, and I walked out. Well, I knew why. And if you, go, if you were to go back and look at my statistics in 86 and 87 against the Chicago White Sox, it was ridiculous how good my numbers were. And Fergosi was the manager of those, those teams in Chicago. So – he had seen a bunch of me, and I, he happened, I, I believe he witnessed uh, the hardest I ever threw in a baseball game, and that was in, in Comiskey one night. They brought me in in a blowout game because it was coming out of my hand really good. So I came in the game, I threw 10 fastballs and struck out the side. And one guy fouled the pitch off. Never came out of my hand like that again. You know, you look at baseball today, you watch baseball today, it seems like it seems like every guy coming out of the bullpen throws 99 to 100. I mean, it's not that uncommon. I mean, if they, if they flash the numbers up on the scoreboard now, for God's sakes. But back back then, Mitch, back in the early 80s, that was not that common. Um, people weren't as locked in on the radar gun quite as much. I'm just wondering, I mean, you you had to be – one of the hardest throwers in baseball at that time was, I mean, I, I mean, if, if in the top, top four or five velocity pitchers in baseball, you had to be one of them, right? Oh, I wouldn't say top four or five. I, I would have been in the top 20 probably, but what people need to understand and fans of the game need to understand, they are not looking at a hundred mile an hour fastball. 
today. Back then, they used a ray gun. A ray gun is seven miles an hour slower than the striker gun they use today. And the reason I say this, and I, I didn't do the science on this. The scientists got together, and I read the report on it. The striker gun gets the ball out of the pitcher's hand. The ray gun got the ball as it crossed home plate. Mm -hmm. The scientist doing the math said that a baseball loses seven miles an hour traveling that 60 feet, six inches to home plate. So when it says 100, you're more than likely looking at 94, 93, 95. It's not 100. Yeah. So that's the difference. I was at 97. The hardest I ever got clocked on a ray gun was at 97. And I don't know what I would have been on a striker gun. If it, they say it's seven miles an hour, what, I'm up throwing 104 miles an hour? No, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> well, you were fast. We agree on that. Let's. Uh, we got a couple minutes before the first break, and let's get to 93. Let's get to the great year. Um, because I don't know that well, certainly the fans didn't see it coming. The local media didn't see it coming. I don't know if, if you guys did. And I, what I remember is there was a spring training fight against the Cardinals. And a lot of players on the team said that that day kind of coalesced what later became known as Macho Row as a team. Uh, is that accurate? Yeah, I think it's pretty close to accurate. Uh, and it's funny because I wasn't on that trip for, oh, the, right. for that game. They were on the road, so I had to hear about it the next day. Well, Dave Hollins got plunked by Do uh, Donovan Osborne in that game in spring training, and Dave decided that enough was enough. And he single-handedly set the tone for how that season was going to unfold. We were not going to be walked on, and we didn't care who it was. Right. <laughs> well, that was certainly true. I thought that um, th that team had a very distinct personality today. They would say that team had an edge. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why the people in Philadelphia embraced that team, because it was it was sort of, the you know, the Broad Street bullies in pinstripes. I mean, it, re it really was. And that's that's the way that you guys played. Um, but going into the season, even though you had yeah, that kind of feeling and it was a great clubhouse and it was great chemistry on that team. You were still coming off last place the previous year. I mean, even though you had a really good feeling about the leadership on that team, how realistic did you think it was that you guys could turn it around and actually be a winning team in 93? Well, you know, Ray, the funny thing about that team, you want to say, I mean, all you're always confident, but you're realistic. And in 92, realistically, we didn't have a chance to win. We didn't have the talent to win. And then the moves that Lee Thomas made in the offseason to bring guys in, I started looking at them, and I'm thinking, okay, what kind of guy is this? And all Lee did, he went out and brought in guys that were basically, characteristically, mere images of himself. He had the nickname Mad Dog, and that's the kind of player he went after that, that offseason – and that's a team he built. And I said in spring training that Lee had done a tremendous job of going out and assembling a prison squad. <laughs> 
All right, tell you what, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll get more from Mitch Williams about that great year and everything after that. Mitch Williams is our guest on Tell Us Your Story, sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. Hey, are you tired of dealing with your old drafty windows and doors in your house? Maybe it's time you finally go Guided. The great people at Guided Door and Window will help make your window and door replacement project more affordable with their buy one, get one half off sale. For every window or door you buy, you get a second one at 50% off. And you can mix and match the savings to suit your own needs. So, buy an entry door, get half off a storm door. Buy a patio door, get 50% off a window. If you need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, you save 50% on half your project. The more you need, the more you save. Plus, Guida is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down and interest-free financing up to 18 months act now offers are a limited time only restrictions apply for full details call guided today schedule a free no obligation in-home estimate at one 877 or visit them at goguided.com that's go g-u-i-d-a.com and the pitch swing and a base hit Welcome back. It is Tell Us Your Story. Glenn McNair, Ray Didinger, sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. And what you just heard was one of the highlights of a year filled with highlights, which was Mitch Williams, of all people, driving in the winning run in a July game against the Padres. Mitch, my memory says 440 in the morning. 441. 441. Didn't want to cheat you of a minute. What's what it, it was a game delayed by rain back end of a double header that the umps decide we're playing this no matter what and you come to bat and what's your recollection of the moment well, i'd come in uh i didn't pitch in the first game so i spent a lot of time in a bullpen that got emptied out and at one o'clock the first game ended and they told us that we were starting the second game at 120. <laughs> well my father I had just flown in from Oregon that afternoon. So I walked over to him after the first game. I said, Pop, I said, the second game starts at 120. He said, it might for you. It don't for me. <laughs> he, said, he said, give me the keys to your truck. The back of my pickup was a queen-size bed. So my father went out there and climbed in and went to sleep. And so anyway, I got brought into the game in the second game. In the eighth inning, Fergosi sends me out there. It's a tie game. And I threw the ninth and tenth. Or no, I threw the ninth and tenth. I got brought in the ninth. So I came out after the tenth, and Fergosi walked over to me, and he said, you're not going back out to pitch, but I'm out of hitters, and you're due up fourth. I said, cool. So I grabbed my bat and gloves and my bat and started getting loose. And the first two guys of the inning got on. It's against Trevor Hoffman. Every time I got to hit, it was against one superstar closer or another. Sure. <laughs> so it wasn't much fun. But uh, the first two guys of the inning got on. Anki was on second. I can't remember who was on first. But Dutch was up. And Dutch strikes out on a changeup. And he, Trevor had a – Hoffman had a good one. 
So I walked to the plate, and I looked at Benito Santiago, who was my catcher in A-ball with the Padres. I said, if, Benny, if you call one changeup, I'm going to hit you right in the head with this bat. <laughs> so Trevor threw the first fastball right by me. I swung at it. It was way – I was way late. But I knew Trevor had good control. So I cheated like a son of a gun on the next pitch. I knew it was going to be a fastball and happened to guess right and put the barrel of the bat on it. That was um, that was pretty memorable. Uh, and there, there's so many aspects to it that they reopened the gates and people actually you know, who were listening on their car driving around heard that the stadium was open and you began getting people actually in the stadium at 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, people just walking in for nothing to see the game. It was just so typical. Yeah. It, was just, it was just so typical of that whole year and the crazy stuff that went on around that team we did uh we had larry anderson on to do tell us your story early on and he would spend a long time talking about that clubhouse and about the things that went on and he, one of the things he told us was that he had a favorite cap that he wore all the time and you set it on fire and just burned it up on him during that season <laughs> i don't remember that i remember painting his hair on for him <laughs> Well, he said that this lucky hat was he, he wore it all the time because he was superstitious, I guess. Uh, and you just thought that it had gotten pretty gross over the course of the season, and uh, and you just said yeah, this it's sort of stinking up the clubhouse, so I'm going to get rid of it. So you torched it. Well, yeah, you got to keep tidy in the clubhouse, uh, yeah. Ray. That's how things have to stay. He was uh, one of my favorite teammates. That guy, L.A. He was. Uh, let me put it this way: he and David West. They are the ones that got all of the hard outs in 1993. Not me. They did. Okay. I want to – let's do a little um, – I'm going to name a guy and give me like a quick 15-second uh, – your thoughts on the guy. One or two may take a little bit longer, but let's do that. Uh, okay. Dutch Dalton. Greatest leader I've ever been around and just a guy that if I was building a baseball team – that would be the first brick I would put in there would be Darren Dalton. All right. Uh, John Cruck. Crucky is a guy that was there for me when I was 17 years old. He was a little older than me. Always kept things light. He's always been a good friend to me. And could fall out of bed with his physique and get five hits on Christmas Day. Lenny Dykstra. Smartest baseball player I ever knew. Dumbest human I've ever met. Yes. I've heard you say that. And have and Ray and I both having experienced ourselves with Dykes probably don't disagree. Uh John Vukovic. Oh that's that's a, that's such a tough one because I put him and Larry Boa in the same group. The only two coaches coaches I ever played for that truly cared if we won every single night. Okay. And the last one, the last one I'm going to ask you, and and I know your opinion is not unique on this is Kurt Schilling. If I had a big game to win, I'd want that fat guy to pitch it. (laughs) Okay. I Uh, I don't have a lot to say about his character. We're not friends. But I'm honest. Yeah, you the are man honest. Could pitch. He, oh, absolutely, he could, and he won a lot of post game uh, 
game, post games, postseason games here and elsewhere. Uh, but we all remember Kurt putting the towel on his head uh, when you would come in and pitch. It angered teammates, and I'm sure that did not sit well to you. Did you ever talk to him about that? Well, I gave him the opportunity to whip my ass, and he declined. Okay. So that's that's kind of how I dealt with it that winter. I wasn't going to say anything about it during the World Series because I thought that would be a disruption. So after the season ended, I did call him at his house and told him I would be more than happy to drive to his house and we could settle it in his front yard. And he politely declined. You know, when you guys got to the postseason um, and had to play the Braves, who were really good and had the really good pitching staff and you know, top to bottom, they were they were the Braves. I mean, they were that good, and they were the favorites to win. Um, and and you guys beat them. And then in the playoff, you win two of the games, you save two of the other ones, and then you end it with the big strikeout. Um, I, I I've, and I know that you have that picture framed and hanging in your house. You must of after that final strikeout, that leap that you had off the mound. Um, is that sort of like the ultimate moment? I mean, from your, the time you were a kid back in high school, 17 and 0, you always dream of getting that big strikeout to end the playoff series. I mean, that as, as sporting thrills go, that probably had to be about as good as it gets. Yeah, it really was for me. Uh, it was funny that that year we had a guy on the team named Don Paul. He was a reliever. And he had done a tremendous job for us, but he was not going to be on the postseason roster. So the game, the division clinching game was in Pittsburgh. And Fergosi called me and said, called down the bullpen and said, I know it's a safe situation. Donnie's not going to be on the postseason roster. I'm going to bring him in. I said, that's fine. So I wasn't on the mound when we clinched the division. So being able to be on the mound when we clinched the National League, that meant everything. It was the pinnacle of my career at the time, obviously. It was a great moment. And, it was I mean, for fans here who were so hungry and loved that team, it was a moment, that picture that Ray mentioned, a lot of people have that picture everywhere. Uh, and you had a great series against the Braves. But it, it was apparent that your velocity was going down toward the end of the year. Uh, I'm gonna our, our friend Jason Stark, who covered it back then, said as we go in as we got into October, the only thing dropping faster than the temperature was Mitch Williams' fastball. Um, were you on fumes by the end of the season? Uh, that would be an excuse, Glenn. I don't use excuses. A guy don't hit how you feel. He hits what he sees. And if I'd have made better pitches, our team would have won. It's just that simple. How did you feel going into the going into the series? How did you feel that you matched up with the with the Blue Jays? <laughs> to us, it was we were looking at a team full of Hall of Famers. We shouldn't have beat the Braves. There was no way we could have been, should have beat the Braves. We went into that series with Toronto with nothing to lose, and that's how we played it. And the bottom line is, let's just be as honest as we can be here. The Philadelphia Phillies would have beat that team if I hadn't had such a bad series. And that's just a fact. 
Well, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to the moment. You were not alone, by the way. Other than Schilling, the starters gave up 25 runs in 24 innings. So there wasn't a whole lot of good pitching all around. Um, but we know what happens in game four. Um, the team gets a lead. You go in, blow the lead. Uh, the Blue Jays win 15-14. And then, of course, game six. Uh, Phillies are down, but they have a – down three games to two, excuse me, have a six to five lead after eight. You come in, you walk Ricky Henderson, you get Devon White to fly out, Paul Molitor lines the single, and then Joe Carter. It is a famous moment in baseball. Um, I think what is remembered most at this point is how well you handled the aftermath, how you you faced the music. Um, and I'm just curious – kind of how you felt at the time and how that moment has kind of sat with you for all these years. Well, honestly, and I'm, I get uncomfortable sitting here listening to people talk about how great I handled it and all that. I was mad. I was as pissed off as a man could be. That's all I can tell you. I was mad. I was upset that I let down my team. I was upset that I let down my city. But the bottom line was, if more people, if it was expected of more people to react to adversity that way, maybe society wouldn't be what it is today. I, I was just raised, you take, you, you are accountable for your actions. It's that simple. You can't hide don't ever lie about them. I was taught that at a very young age. Don't ever lie about what you've done. And just accept responsibility for it. That's all I did. It wasn't anything special. It was what I was taught and how I was raised. And I, I just assumed that everybody was raised that way. Well, not everybody was, and not everybody handles moments like that quite the way you did. Um, and you did, and Glenn quite right. I mean, you did win pretty universal respect from the reporters that were there covering it and the fans who read about the fact that you sat at your locker and you talked about it and you didn't hide out, as a lot of guys would have. Uh, and, that, uh, and, and that earned you a lot of respect. But still, there's the memory of what happened. And, you know, you come back to Philadelphia, and that turns out to be the last pitch that you threw as a Philly. Was that your feeling that that was like the likely outcome, or did you think there was a chance that you could come back and play for the Phillies the following year and maybe the year after that? I was hoping I could come back. Uh, I love playing in Philly. I really did. I, it, Philadelphia is not my lifestyle, but the people are the kind of people I love to be around. I'm a country boy. I like to be out in the country with my horses and hunting and doing that kind of stuff. That's hard to do in downtown. <laughs> but if you want honesty, Philadelphia is the place you come if you want honesty. And you and you did. You know, your career after after this, your career kind of tailed off. Uh, went to Houston for a while. Um, came by the way, came here with the Astros. Got a great reaction from the people here. Pitched a little bit for the Angels in Kansas City, and like every uh, athlete, your career ends. Came back here. I know you did the bowling alley. You had a thing going with Chile. You coached the minor league baseball. How do you think you are remembered and regarded in this city? Because we have our opinion. Well, the only way I've ever wanted to be regarded is 
as a guy that every time I was handed the baseball, the people that plopped down money to watch us play got every single thing I had in me that night. And that'll, that can never be questioned. And that's all I ever cared about. You know, I saw, I saw the quotes that you said, that, and this was after your career was over, but you were looking back. And you said that after you left Philadelphia, when you left Philadelphia, and Glenn mentioned the stops, Houston, California, Kansas City, um, you didn't pitch well. And, and you said, he said it, wasn't, it wasn't as much physical, it was mental. You said, mentally, I was done after Philadelphia. Yeah. And, and you said, and when, when you're done mentally, you're done. I mean, it's just, you yeah. know, the physical part, the physical part can't overcome the mental part. And you were done when you left Philadelphia. Um, and that's, and that's just kind of how you felt. Was it, was it really just, was it really just the Carter shot? Was it really the end of that game? Was that, was that what took it away? Oh, no, no, no. That had, I gave up home runs before that. And I gave up home runs after that. Trust me, nothing that has ever happened on a baseball field would mentally affect me. What happened off the baseball field did because I look back at that 93 season. It was the best season of my career. The best team I could have ever been a part of gave everything I had, went to a world series and got traded after that point. It became extremely clear to me that the game was a business and it was about money and I was not going to play the game for money. I wanted to play the game because I loved it and I loved the guys I was playing with. And when I left here, mentally I was defeated because of those reasons, not because of the home run, because of having the best year of my career and the success that we had as a team, and then still got traded for it. So I never got past that. Hmm. Um, we have a few minutes left. I want to get to what's what's your uh, your life after baseball. Again, you're you're here. You were broadcasting, and you're doing a nice job broadcasting. You're on MLB Network. Um, and then an episode happened in 2014. I'm going to try to recount it quickly, and if I get anything wrong, you tell me. There was a Little League tournament. You got into an argument with an umpire. Story comes out on Deadspin accusing you of all kinds of inappropriate behavior. Um, story's wrong. You sue. Takes three years. Uh, MLB Network decides they're done with you. And in 2017, you're awarded a million and a half, but your broadcasting career is over. Uh, I hope I got that right. It had to be a very tough time for you to clear your name and try to restore a career well i knew restoring my career was never going to happen because baseball wasn't going to let that happen uh the entire story of the tournament was complete falsehoods rip billy Ripken. i worked with billy ripkin at mlb network i went to him the following monday after that tournament and said Billy, I want to get a video of this game. Wouldn't give it to me. I thought that was strange because every video is a, every game played at a Ripken facility is available on video, except this one. I tried to get it, couldn't get it. Billy had it. MLB Network had it the following day. Everything printed in that article is proven false by that video. 
Mm-hmm. How did people think I won the lawsuit against a billion-dollar industry? Because all I did was play the video for the jury. None of it happened. So it was a horrible time in my life. Let's put it that way. Way worse than losing the World Series. Yeah. And you had, you had, as Glenn had said, you had made real inroads in broadcasting. I mean, you had done well. You had worked here at WIP and did well. You worked, were part of the morning show. It was Angelo loved working with you. The audience loved you. You moved on to MLB. You were doing really good there. Um, I mean, it, it's, it seems like you really had the beginning of a whole new career taken away from you. Well, I was, I think, eight years into my new career. And I'll be honest with you, Ray, I loved it. I had an absolute blast doing it. I mean, number one, I couldn't blow a game again, which was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, a lot but less I pressure. Sit, yeah, it is. it's a lot less pressure, and you're sitting back. And all I ever wanted to do when I got into broadcasting was be as honest as I could possibly be. And the one thing I always wanted to remember when I started it, I played the game, and the game ain't so easy. That's all I ever wanted to remember. And remember every mistake I was going to point out, I made 100 times myself. So that's how I went into it. I loved it. I had success with it. And then people had other designs for me, I guess. But this is where my life is now, and I'm happy. I'm working. I'm partners at a company in Mount Laurel, uh, a trucking brokerage. Uh, Raymond Transportation Corporation is the name of it, and they – Flew in and offered me a partnership six years ago and been the greatest move of my life. All right, one other thing. Let's close with this because I know that one other thing that's happening now, and Ray and I have seen the video, is you have a son who looks like he may have a promising career. Baseball, football, tell us about about your son. Well, my son Declan, he's 18. He's at Paul VI High School here in South Jersey. He was uh, a tremendous football player. Uh, he's a linebacker. He signed a letter of intent for a full scholarship at the University of Rhode Island to play football and baseball there. But right now his focus is on the Major League Draft coming up in June. He's uh, an extremely good catcher that can hit. Let's just put it that way. Well, I, saw, I did see the video. Uh, I didn't see any of the baseball, but I saw the football. He, um, Mitch, i um, I mean, he looks like he looks like a linebacker. I mean, that's where they played him, Paul the Six. He's got the instinct for it. He's got the size for it. Um, he really he just has he just has a natural aptitude for the game. I mean, I know if he's drafted into the baseball draft, he's going to have to consider that. But I'm telling you, he's got the instincts to play linebacker. Certainly at Rhode Island, and who knows, maybe beyond. Well, that's what I was looking for when I sent you the video, Rick. I don't know. I know athleticism. That's all I know. I can't tell you if he's a great football player or what. I just know he's got good instincts and he's athletic as hell. So it was. I appreciate hearing those words about him. He he's fun to watch play either sport. And I think I'm going to have to sit back and see what happens in June. And I don't know. I don't have a preference what he does. My preference is that he's happy. So <laughs> we'll sit back and see what happens. Well, Mitch Williams, I got to say it was it was very fun to watch you. Although sometimes it was a little nerve wracking. It is always fun to talk to you, and we hope maybe someday in a local uniform we get to watch your son. Thanks for being our guest on Tell Us Your Story, sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. Mitch, it's been great. 
Glenn, let me say say this about you and Ray. If everyone in Philadelphia was as classy as you two, this would be the classiest place in the world. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I do appreciate that. I really do appreciate well, it's that. Just, it's just a fact, guys. You guys do a great job, and you're outstanding at your jobs. Well, there you go. Always, <laughs> always nice and a little unexpected to end with a compliment. And Mitch Williams was a lot of fun to watch and a lot of fun to interview, and we appreciate him being part of Tell Us Your Story. All right, it is time for what we forgot to talk about with our producer, Dan Wilson. Dan, I think we covered everything there is to cover today. Yeah, we got a few things that I wanted to hit on. One is uh, you and Ray briefly hit on uh, how Nikola Jokic now seems to be the consensus MVP in the NBA. Uh, The running theory on this, or kind of the odd shift that we've seen, is that the Tim Bontemps uh, ESPN MVP straw poll that factors in a lot of people who will actually be voting on this their minds seem to be Jokic, and that wasn't that long ago. That was about 10 days ago that poll came out. So it seems like the odds and all the sports books have shifted that Jokic is the favorite. Of course, it doesn't come out till after the playoffs at the awards ceremony, but it, it looks like that's what we're headed for. Yeah, I, that's, that's, I mean, you're, you're citing kind of what I had heard and, and the discussion. Again, I mean, I watch Jokic play, but I can't say that I watch, you know, more than five, ten, whatever games they play, so I, I can't judge it. Enough. Uh, all I can say is Embiid is having the best year of his career. Um, the Sixers have kind of faded, but uh, he has not, and uh, I would love to see him win. Don't think it's going to happen. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll take them winning in the playoffs and lose the MVP. Yeah, I, I would take that as well. And really quickly, just these last two games they have here, they do actually need to win one more game to ensure that they are the four seed and would likely then host the Raptors in a playoff series, which, of course, Matisse Thibel, we found out this week, would not be available for games three, four, and six uh, in that. And when they went to Toronto the other day, by the way, Sixers were down Thibel. The Raptors were out two starters in Ananobi and uh, Van Bleed as well. Yeah, I, and I'm telling you, they, they play the Raptors. It's it's not a gimme. No, not at all. I mean, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what the odds are. I think the Sixers will be a slight favorite. But, as you just mentioned, losing... One of your best defensive players, a guy in your starting rotation for three of those games could be a huge factor. And if it turns out to be that way, I mean, mean, I'm kind of projecting here, but if they end up losing that series, oh, God, close because they lose those games in Toronto, uh, it's going to be tough for Matisse to show his face around town for a while. Yeah, not not great. And for a guy who was really well-liked. Pretty yes. much up until this week. It's kind of a very shame. popular guy and and deserves to be a popular guy, but it is not helping. His decision is not helping his team. I think everybody can agree on that. Yes, I would agree on that as well. And then a takeaway I had from baseball opening day, you know, we hit on the Phillies and how the bats came alive. I thought yesterday was kind of a microcosm for what we're going to see all season. Some really good offense, some really bad defense, a questionable Girardi decision, Nola collapsing after six innings. It was like yes. everything yes. packed yes. into one. But maybe my favorite part of the entire day, and this was all around Major League Baseball, you saw it a few times in the Phillies games, is the new replay system and how they no longer have that poor staff member lugging out all the equipment. Like, the the umpires actually make the announcements in the stadium. And I don't know if you saw how the Tigers game ended yesterday. but I did not. So Javier Baez comes up in a tie game in the ninth inning. Tie game, so runner on third. And with two outs, this happens. To right field. Deep. Pollock backpedaling at the wall. And oh! catch it, he did. <laughs> it bounced Right it hit the wall. And then he grabbed it. Baez claiming it hit the wall. After review, 
Ruling on the fan is overturned. We have no catch. Run sport. That's a game winner. His sixth walk-off winner in Javier Baez's career. The Tigers win on opening day. They beat the White Sox at Comerica Park. 5-4. You know, walk-off replay announcement <laughs> walk off replay. on opening day. On opening day. Well, that was perfect. By the way, I think there were four walk-off home runs yesterday. Yeah, it was a great day of baseball. Day. Yeah, It's so nice to have baseball back. It is. And I am very excited about the Phillies. The game today, 4 o'clock start, or 4.05 start. I know that they're going to be honoring the MVP, Bryce Harper, before that, so that should be fun. Sixers about to tip off against the Pacers, a game I predict they will win by 20. Uh, and there you go. All right. It has been a pleasure. Nice job by you, Dan Wilson. Very much appreciate it. Go Birds Radio is coming up next from Parks Casino. So you want to listen to those guys right into Phillies against the Oakland A's this afternoon. I'm Glenn Mack now for Ray Didger. Thanks so much for joining the show. We'll see you tomorrow on 94 WIP. Hey, you already know that United Tire delivers value and expertise, but now they're also delivering hope. Right now, a portion of purchases made at United Tire will help those in desperate need in Ukraine via United Way. With locations across the Delaware Valley, you can trust you're getting the best deal on the industry's most trusted tires while helping those displaced in Ukraine. United Tires, united for Ukraine. Remember, don't drive alone, drive United. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.